Welcome everyone to another episode of Fumble Ruski, a football podcast. He's B. Reed. I'm KP. Reed, what's going on, bro? Nothing else, man. You must be mad at me. You didn't even call me Big Facts today. Hey, man, we getting to it, man. We <laughs> haven't gotten to the fact just yet. So, hey, man, we got to, you know, this is just the appetizer, man. We're going to get into the main course real quick. <laughs> man, how's, how's it going, man? I know we got the Jordan documentary on, so yeah, man, big I'm, night. I'm trying not to be distracted, man, without sports, man. The Jordan documentary is like watching the finals all over again. Hey, man, it's all we got. And at the end of the day, the GOAT, all we got. Yeah, man. So it's a big week in football. Uh, we have the NFL coming up this Thursday. So it's going to be a little different this year. Of course, as everybody knows, the COVID pandemic is out here and it's very real. So it looks like the NFL will be partnering with EA in hosting the very first virtual draft in history. So it's really interesting I guess what is going to be done here is they are going to take the new technology from uh, Madden, maybe a preview of Madden 21, who knows, but they are going something out. Rumor has it where they're going to do every first round pick virtually. So that, that's interesting. Very interesting. Uh, are they only doing the first round picks virtually? What do you mean well, by so that? I would assume so with the first 32 picks, I guess the way that that is... I, I guess that they're asking players, you know, what they want, uh, what they want the setup to look like. So, player comes, is announced virtually, they come out, shake the commissioner's hands. So oh, I see what you're saying. crazy. Uh, I'm intrigued. I got you. I got you. So, it, yeah, so it's like them walking across the stage yeah, virtually on that. More or less. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, man, we got to... Oh, go but, ahead, go ahead. Nah, I was just going to say, like we talked about last episode, man, this draft could have been being done virtually, man. I don't think – I mean, yeah, you can have the kids come in, visit New York, you know, do the tours and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, this could this could be done virtually. It could have been being done yeah, virtually. Yeah, I mean, the draft, I will say this. I usually only watch the first night. So once you really get that out of the way, it doesn't even matter. To me, I mean, there, there's a. Let me walk that back. I usually watch all three days because I'm extremely interested in what my team's going to do. That was yeah. kind of a, a new move. I only watched the first night. Look at me sounding all pretentious and whatnot. But uh, <laughs> no, I watch all three days, and you know, there's a lot of popular college football athletes that usually go on day two, day two, day three guys. I know that we are going to talk about that a little bit uh, later on in the show. But uh, it's just really the football fan in me wants to watch every little minute, every little bit of it. I will stay in my office in this room here for three If I could sleep, eat, and just watch the draft. It's crazy. <laughs> I've been doing this since I was like a kid, man. It's nuts. Yeah, but I'm, you know, we're in the minority because I'm like you. I will watch it, sit and watch it the whole day. You know what I'm saying? Even when the draft was like a whole day. I would spend all those hours, you know, just watching it. And if I fall asleep in the middle of it, I wake up and then catch up on everything that's going on. But, yeah, I would take a whole day out to watch the draft. Um, I appreciate how they broke it up, though, into the first and on, on Thursday. I don't really think you need to separate the first and then the second and third. I think you could do all that on one day, first, second, and third, and then the other just rest of the draft picks. Because those are the money picks. Those are going to be the names that you really know. Anybody that's first round to third pick, third round pick. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I I think well one, 
moving it to Thursday night, at least the first round, genius move. I don't know whoever thought of that, whether the person was from ESPN or NFL Network, but it was a genius move. And I guarantee you, this year, the NFL draft will have oh, record numbers definitely. because there's nothing else on to watch. And so that's going to give us an ability to escape for a little bit and really vicariously live through that. I mean, sport, especially if you're a football fan. I know you're a football fan. I'm a football fan. It's like Christmas in April. It's like a second birthday Whoever's listening, me, I hope they're football fans. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, if you are not a football fan, this is the <laughs> wrong podcast for Especially you. this show, <laughs> this, this specific episode. So, so Reed, man, let's let the folks at home know what we're getting into. Today. Well, we're going to start out just touching on some news. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been back um, after our top 25 prospects from 2019. So today we're going to look at uh, the, seeing the Christian McCaffrey extension. We're going to go into the Leonard Fournette trade rumors, the Odell Beckham Jr. trade rumors. We're going to look at Brandon Cook's um, going to the Texans. The Texans trying to replace DeAndre Hopkins. Um, XFL going bankrupt. Uh, and then we're going to go into some of our draft prospects, man. The deep, the deeper round draft prospects. Not 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 the ones that you're going to hear about on ESPN for the most part. Sounds like a full 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 menu, man. Sounds very good. The and so what my <laughs> co-host Big Facts read just explain. I'll translate that for the common man. We're going to be talking about draft picks. Look, we know that the Joe Burrows of the world, the Tua Tagovailoa's, the Justin Herberts, Jerry Judy's, Henry Ruggs. I could go all day. We know that those guys are locks as first-round picks. But what we're talking about, we're talking about the guys flying under the radar, the diamonds in the rough, as you will. A lot of legends are made day two and day three. Remember, folks, Tom Brady was a sixth-round pick. As everyone likes to remind us. Yeah. (laughs) He was a sixth-round pick. Dak Prescott was a fourth-round yeah. pick. Yeah, and the a crazy of- part about – well, I'm not going to say the crazy part. If, if you're not, like, accustomed to really watching the draft, it's a lot different than the NBA draft. The vast majority of star players in the NBA draft are going to come from the first round. You know what I mean? But in the NFL, you can get them any round. You know what I mean? They're not always first-rounders. Russell Wilson was, what, a third-rounder or a fifth – was he a third-rounder? I believe he was a third rounder. I want to say his pick was in the 70s. It was either second or third round. I know he did not go in the first when he should yeah, have. He, um, Drew Brees was a yeah, second rounder. You round get a pick. lot of good picks outside of the first round. And you get probably a lot of bur- a bust in the first round of the NFL drafts. The The players that are really going to become significant impact players on your roster are going to come somewhere between the third and fifth round. You get a lot of quality players in those rounds. And before we get into the Christian McCaffrey contract signing, I have a problem with the NFL con for that very reason, because you can be a workout weight room All-American and translate that into an early round or a first round pick. We've seen it plenty of times where a guy runs an unbelievable 40 time and you, they're pretty much a mid first round pick or a top first round pick, an early first round pick. And so I think that's a lot of the issue with the NFL combine because the NFL combine, yes, they do have a lot of measurables, a lot of variables, but it's the intangibles that you don't see the determination to grit. You can't measure that in an NFL combine. And I think when a lot of these guys who are first round picks and some of them that do flame out is usually because they have all of the 
on-field stuff that they need except that dog in them. A lot of people don't have that. And we've seen year after year after year. I mean, I've been watching the first NFL draft I ever watched was the 95 NFL draft when Kajana Carter was taken <laughs> first overall. Now, I know that his career didn't last long. That could be more attributed to yeah. injury more than anything else. But, man, I've seen the Achilles Smiths and just all these other folks. The Ryan Leafs just flame out, man. You know, they have a good combine. You know, they have good workouts. And they take a stellar college career and just crash the Corvette, if you will. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's the one thing that the combine really shows you is that measurables are only half the battle. And it might not even be half the battle because they get so infatuated with 40 times and arm strength and shuttle drills that they don't really look at the film. I mean, a dude might run four or six at the combine, but his tape looks like he plays a lot faster. Like Jerry uh, Jerry Rice used to get separation Every anytime that he wanted, just with Chris Brown running, he never ran under like a four six. You know, even when he was forty five years old, he could still get separation of ten to fifteen yards just by instinct. So a lot of those speed drills don't always translate onto the field. You know what I mean? And that's I think GMs are starting to get smarter about that, um, but still not on the level that you need. We still getting John Ross taken in the top twenty. You know what I mean? And that's another thing that pisses me off about the combine. What the anonymous GM or the anonymous <laughs> scout says, like I cannot stand at any time someone who wants to talk shit on a player, whether I, I just hate that. that that's that, just step that's up to strategy it. though. I'm, I'm not totally I'm not totally oh, mad that. at that. I mean you're trying to get somebody to fall. You just hope that that works in your favor where that player falls down to you. I mean if you're like my Eagles at number twenty and you start seeing like, players start getting a lot of hype on them. You want to knock them down a little bit. Like, ah, you know, he had that, you know, drug, failed drug test, you know, as a freshman. <laughs> yeah, it's just a game, man. It's a game. It's a game that they play with one another. But anywho, so big news coming out of uh, Carolina, or Charlotte, North Carolina. It's, it's weird for me to say Carolina when I live in North Carolina. It's strange. But the Carolina Panthers sign running back Christian McCaffrey to, what was it, a four-year, 62 or $64 million deal? Four-year, $64 million deal, $30 million up front when he signed the contract, $8 million next March. That means that he got $38 million of a $64 million deal up front, which is outrageous for a running back. Folks, that's what we call getting a bag. Really? Getting the bag. Stacks on deck. Green backs dead presidents. And you know what that tells me? That he was the valued centerpiece of the Carolina Panthers the whole time. And it wasn't Killer Cam Newton, man. Man, that's what I said last episode. I felt like there there was a... I don't feel like Christian McCaffrey and Cam Newton was on the same page, man. Cam was throwing a lot of shade at him before he got hurt. And then Cam got hurt. And Christian McCaffrey took it to another level. He went Super Saiyan mode <laughs> on him. And then he got paid. I mean, so... I mean, if it came down to a choice... Cam Newton or Christian McCaffrey, as much as I love Cam Newton, I don't even think there was a, a choice in that matter. Honestly, Christian McCaffrey ran into the record books from an all-purpose yards perspective, and the Carolina Panthers ran him those coins. I think, and it, this is it's interesting because I think that a lot of people would like to make Christian McCaffrey the face of the league because he is an outlier. In the NFL, you know, a, a white athlete 
who a white star athlete you don't see a lot of those you, you really don't see a lot of white running backs you know the league is 80 percent black and so i think that uh he is an outlier now talent is talent like color creed yeah. orientation they talent is talent i remember his pops was called yeah, back in the day from denver broncos oh. and yeah and christian mccaffrey broke every record at stanford university he broke Barry Sanders' NCAA record. And so, I mean, the guy is just, he's incredible, man. And they love him out here. They, I've seen so many 22, I, the jerseys I used to see, Cam Newton, obviously, Luke Keekley, and Christian McCaffrey. I mean, run CMC, he he runs the state. Yeah, eventually people are going to make it kind of about race, but I really don't. I mean, they've always tried to make it about race with Christian McCaffrey. Even when he was coming out of college, all the doubts that they had about him was just because he was white. If that was a black athlete coming out, nobody would have had. He would have been first overall yeah, pick, man. Nobody would have had any doubts about Christian McCaffrey if he was a black athlete. But because he was white, you got those, oh, he's quick, not fast. I don't know if he can run between the tackles. What he did at Stanford was totally incredible. You got a dad, you have a dad that was one of the best wide receivers in the league, and you play running back. So, of course, he's going to have great route running skills, and you know what I'm saying, and great hands. But. And, I mean, the speed was there, too, because people forget, man. Ed McCaffrey was speedy. Yeah. He was real lean, man. Real, just really fast. He's one of John Elway's favorite targets. And he knows how to train. You know what I'm saying? He has a a dad that tells him, this is what you need to do to stay at this level. This is the type of conditioning. But, see, Christian McCaffrey pretty much did what Le'Veon Bell did. What what Le'Veon Bell wanted to do. That's what Le'Veon Bell was trying to do. This is what Le'Veon Bell was fighting for. Le'Veon Bell, I would say, opened the door for Todd Gurley to get his contract and for Christian McCaffrey to get this contract because Le'Veon Bell was one of the better receivers at the backfield. The problem was that Le'Veon Bell had baggage. Le'Veon Bell had those two uh, two suspensions for drugs, I believe. He had an injury. Yep, Mary, he had the... He popped hot for weed. Yeah, and then he had that injury history, so he couldn't get this contract. But what you get with Christian McCaffrey is you get a, a player that is pretty much a slot receiver. He puts up better numbers than most receivers in this league. He was second in receiving in the NFL, and that's only second to a Michael Thomas who had a historic season. You know what I mean? And then rushing the ball, he wasn't as efficient as he usually is, but he didn't have a quarterback either. So he's just one of those unique weapons that he kind of protect himself. They have to cut back on the usage of him because he's just extremely durable at this point in his career. You can use him in so many different ways. So I think he fully deserves the amount of money that he got. Um, I think that Le'Veon did open the door. I want to pay respect because Le'Veon sitting out, I think he opened the door for him to get this contract because with Le'Veon sitting out, that made the Rams not really want to go through that with Ty Gurley. Whether it worked for them or not, they gave Ty Gurley that money, and they set the bar where um, Christian McCaffrey could get this contract, which helps every running back out going forward. And, uh, you know, I totally agree with uh, your statement of Le'Veon Bell laying the groundwork for all these running backs to get paid. I also think one thing that all of these guys have in common, they're running backs who are pass catchers out of the backfield. So when you look at Le'Veon Bell, you look at Ezekiel Elliott, you look at Todd Gurley, you look at Christian McCaffrey, they all have that one trait in common with one another. And so that's the wave of the future of the running back position moving forward. I also think that this definitely says that, you know, new coach, Matt Rule is going to make Christian McCaffrey the centerpiece of that offense. 
it looks like that he will complement Terry Bri- or Teddy Bridgewater very well as he's the new QB in that system. I don't know if it'll be enough to really be top dog in that NFC South. I mean, the Buccaneers have read up the Atlanta Falcons. You know, I I don't really see them doing too much, but if you get a healthy Ty Gurley and you have an outstanding season from Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, maybe they could do something. Defense has a lot of question marks, though, and Dan Quinn is pretty much on his last legs there. I think that, you know, for the future, they need to continue to build the team. But it is evident that, you know, to from based on what David Tepper and uh, Matt Rule have done here, that Christian McCaffrey will be that centerpiece and the focal point moving forward of the offense. Well, if you think about uh, college systems, uh, Christian McCaffrey is perfect for this system because one thing about college systems that they like to do is they like to change up the formation and they don't want to take players out. So you need players that are able to play different types of positions so you can do a bunch of different packages without subbing a lot so you can go at a fast pace. And there's not a lot of running backs that can do what Christian McCaffrey can do. I mean, you can be in a a heavy set with two wide receivers and easily go to a three wide receiver set throwing Christian McCaffrey out in the slot. And there is not a ton. Even I would say even like an Ezekiel Elliott would struggle with something like that because the difference between Christian McCaffrey and even a, a Ty Gurley or a Zeke is he actually can line up on the outside. As a rookie, one thing that they used to do with him and Cam Newton on the goal line would line him out wide out and have him go one-on-one with those linebackers and safeties to run a different route tree. He is a different type of weapon than any running back that we've seen in a long time. He could literally be a slot receiver. You know what I mean? And that's that's big in the offense that Matt Rule runs coming from Baylor because they can do all types of different packages that can mess up a defense, especially in the NFL, who doesn't have those same type of substance substitution packages so i really like this panthers team even though luke cookley retired I, re- I believe didn't he retire yeah he retired he hung it up yeah but so they lost that linebacking core but i still think that defense can be good i do think they need to do something with that offensive line because one of the bigger problems is they had real problems in short yardage as good of a season as christian mccaffrey had he struggled in short short yardage with their record they probably lost four games just because they couldn't get one yard you know what i'm saying on the goal line they got stopped a couple of times for game um they couldn't get first downs if they can just shore up that short yardage i see them easily winning 10 games because they could have won the last year with no quarterback play and outside of luke keekley leaving you also have gerald mccoy yeah. leave too so that's another hole on the defense that needs to be filled uh, with the offensive line, I believe I know that I, they traded. Man, I'm thinking about Michael. Nah, they made a trade to Seattle. Um, I can't even remember the names, man. Was it a Fetty? Jermaine? Nah, nah, it, nah it was the it was the uh, it, it was the big paid dude. Um, on I think they traded left tackles. Um, the dude from O uh, the dude from Seattle, I believe, was from OSU. I just can't remember the names. I just can't remember the name. No, it wasn't Russell Okung either. Nah, man, that's a hallmark nah. of our yeah. show. We forget at least yeah. one name. Episode, there was a man. It's okay. Yeah, there was an old offensive lineman <laughs> trade between the Panthers and the Seahawks early that I can't remember. I don't think it would be. I don't think it was significant. I think they're still going to struggle because they have holes all over that offensive line. That they did. I mean, they couldn't keep Cam Newton upright. Exactly, and that led to a lot of his issues. 
with injuries and and just this unhappiness down there. But they got they got talent on the offense. If they can just uh, keep Teddy uh, Bridgewater upright, um, get an offensive line that can get some push. I mean, I love DJ Moore, wide receiver that's oh. tough. Um, you got Curtis Samuel. They just signed Robbie Anderson. They got a lot of speed where you can depend on the where you can just kind of pound the ball and then let it go deep. Okay, so we were actually right. It was Russell Okuma. Okay. So he left Seattle, went to the Los Angeles Chargers. I didn't say San Diego this time. Got a lot of flack for that <laughs> last time. but And he is now with the Panthers as of March 5th. So this just recently happened. So, uh, And they let Trey Turner, Trey Turner go to the Chargers in exchange. So Turner, Turner, Turner was Turner a guard, went, right? So they got Russell Okuma. Yes, he yeah, was. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yes, he was. So there we go, man. Redemption. There we go. <laughs> hey, we so, we don't most most shows have like a team that can look this information up. We go on the fly. We do it ourselves, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I'm a host and I'm a stat boy all at the same time, man. Through the advances of modern technology, that is possible. So it's like being Michael Wilbon, Tony Kornheiser, and Tony Reale sometimes all at once. Man, pat here. yourself on the back, man. Take time to give yourself uh, some I flowers, will. man. <laughs> Yeah, man, I just hit the Barry Horowitz for all my wrestling fans. <laughs> Give the self pet on the back. So, uh, coming off of that, man, we've got a few trade rumors that have been brewing for the past couple of weeks. Now, a few episodes, which uh, Fumble Ruski, I believe that was season two, or Fumble Ruski season two coming soon, 2021. It's Fumble Ruski episode two, pardon me, uh, where we talked about all of the activity in NFL free agency, which if you haven't heard that, go check that out in the archives on the Two Smart Network at twosmartnetwork.com. There was a lot of activity around trades, releases, signings, and it looks like there were a few more rumors involving uh, Leonard Fournette and uh, OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr., uh, very strong rumors uh, at this point, but, you know, maybe this could impact the NFL draft or not. I mean, we don't know. Uh, with the rumors with OBJ, you know, we've heard that he might be getting traded to the Vikings. The 49ers have been brought up in play. Not a lot coming from the Cleveland Browns right now as of this moment. And then the Jaguars just pretty much put out there that, hey, we're going to be shopping Leonard Fournette to whoever's going to listen. I mean, look at all the folks they've traded so far. Calais Campbell, they traded Jalen Ramsey. I mean, they're getting rid of that whole team. Fournette rumors are interesting because it came right after his appearance on First Take where he talked about that he wanted to bring in uh, Cam Newton. And that they just traded Nick Foles. It looks like they're all in on Gardner Minshaw. Your number 25 pick for the best players in 2019. Go check out that episode from Ruski episode four. But otherwise, that seems like that was like the final straw. I mean, you got Leonard Fournette going into a fourth year. He's coming off his best season that he's had, his best receiving season. They said that he couldn't really catch the ball. He proved that wrong. Um, he had a great season, and now after those comments, it looks like they're trying to move on from him because they're scared of the damage that they might do with Gardner Minshaw. Um, it's interesting. I don't, I don't, I don't think they were going to pay him anyway. So I think that's kind of an excuse. He's coming up on that time where he's going to want a contract extension, and I believe that they may be scared that he might have a Derrick Henry type year. And if he does, they're going to be in the same situation that Tennessee is with Derrick Henry, where he kind of underperformed the first year or two. Well, the first year he was good. He was just kind of under, uh, inconsistent and injured. Second year he had a bad year. Last year he came in in shape. 
um, and he had a great year. Now this year you don't know it could go either way. If he has a great year this year, then they're gonna be they're gonna have to pay him or try to get value for him. I think it's best for them to try to get value because it looks like they're in a rebuilding. Um, but Odell Beckham Jr. That's a different situation. I always question how that will work because of the fiery personalities that they have on that squad. With Baker Mayfield, OBJ, Jarvis Landry, there's a lot of different personalities on that team. And Baker is not a feed-one-person type of quarterback. He's going to look across the field and give it to who's open. And I don't think – I think Odell Beckham wants you to give him a chance even when he's double-covered. And that's just not what Baker's going to do. So, going back to Leonard Fournette. So, his 2019 stats, he, he was a 1,000-yard rusher, had uh, 1,152 yards, averaged 4.3 yards per carry, had uh, three touchdowns and 76 receptions. So, career year for him. I mean, his in 2017, he rushed for 1,000 yards. 2018, had a little bit of an injury real season, not that much. So, Leonard Fournette can go. I mean, the guy was a beast in college at LSU. I mean, he put a hurting on my college team, which, I mean, a lot of people have put a hurting <laughs> on lately. But uh, Leonard Fournette can go most definitely. And I think, you know, he is a prime candidate to have a Derrick Henry type of year in the right offense. Uh, OBJ, you know, he's OBJ. You know, my team, the Dallas Cowboys, have dealt with him for a while when he was in a, a, for the New York Giants. Uh, I just think... You got to look at the two things that both Jacksonville and Cleveland have in common. They don't have strong leadership. Yeah, that's true. No strong leadership. Not the greatest front office. I mean, you have Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Cleveland Browns, and then you have Shad Khan, who is the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I just think that Jacksonville no quality veterans either. Start. None, none. So I mean, it's a reload every other year. Uh, with the OBJ situation. I, I think, honestly, I really think that they got it wrong with their coach. I think that Mike McCarthy should have been their coach last year, and that would have gave them a foundation. I think Mike McCarthy would have been perfect for Baker Mayfield. I think Mike McCarthy's system would have been perfect for everybody involved there. But, you know, they gave it to Freddie Kitchens just because the inmates run the asylum in Cleveland. Baker Mayfield liked him, and Freddie Kitchens got that job. I think – uh, that Mike McCarthy wanted that job as well. So he wanted to become the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. That was a job that fit him. I thought it was a perfect match, and they passed on him. I actually, uh, I actually think that Greg Williams should have been the coach. I mean, I know that it's hard. To, I agree. It's hard to put Greg Williams after everything that happened with the Saints and Bounty Gate, but that Freddie Kitchens got a lot of the credit for what happened at the end of that season with the Browns, and I think it was more Greg Williams because at the end of that season, the defense. that defense was playing excellent, and he kind of kept the reins because he was the interim. And he kept the reins on Freddie Kitchen to help that offense go. As soon as he left, that defense was really bad last year. That was the one of the most disappointing parts of that Browns team is I thought that defense was ready to make a leap, and it got so much worse. But then you see Greg Williams go to the Jets on a team that was beat up and injured all year, and they were still a good defensive team, even though they're playing third and fourth string players in their secondary and in their linebacking core. So I think Greg Williams would have been a great candidate to stay there but i mean you know how that goes <laughs> i think you would have too greg williams just has a type of bravado and a type of attitude that teams resonate around if you look at the teams that where he's been the d coordinator saints 
Rams, uh, Browns, and now Jets. He's always produced a top 10 defense. It's just the way that he carries himself. He's all about business. He doesn't have time for BSing and jacking around. And the Cleveland Browns will continue. I th- I think the coach they have now, I step, I've, there's my name that I forgot. I mean, it's Cleveland, so we'll just refer to him as the Cleveland head coach. I yeah, I can't, remember what assistant. I can't remember what it is. I think he was assistant with the Vikings. It was uh, some guy that I've never heard of before. Yeah, I, I believe that you're right. He was the assistant with the Vikings. I think they signed him during the playoffs. Uh, Kevin Stefanski. Yeah. Kevin Stefanski. I was looking it up. You're right. Yep. I don't know. No name guy. Yeah, I don't know much about him, but that doesn't mean that he's not good. A lot of coordinators come in here and they make a name for themselves. I mean, he's been on that staff a while. I don't, I don't know if he was the offensive or – does it say if he was the offensive or the defensive assistant on Minnesota? Uh, I believe he was an offensive assistant, which is interesting because his father, Edward Stefanski, was a basketball player. He used to hoop for the 76ers. Oh, okay. So that's interesting. But um, So he's another first-year coach. I just think that with the Cleveland Browns, we go through, and I know we're going, going in, off on a tangent going from the trade rumors. With the Cleveland Browns, you really can't build a winner if you're hiring a new head coach every other year and you're switching quarterbacks every other year now i think that they got it right with baker mayfield i think baker mayfield is the type of guy who needs to be the quarterback of that team i really thought baker mayfield was excellent when he won the heisman trophy during his campaign at oklahoma i thought that lincoln riley did a wonder of good for him and i i honestly thought the cleveland browns would try to go all in on hiring lincoln riley it's just the system would work. I mean, Baker Mayfield's familiar with the system. Got to get him to lead, though. I, I don't think he would leave. Yeah, he. I don't think he's going to leave, at least until he wins the national championship at Oklahoma, which may never happen at this point. Uh, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. It's too late at night. I like Spencer did. Rattler, man. <laughs> Spencer Rattler, man. Spencer Rattler's okay. Uh, but yeah. I, what, the one thing I'll say is not only does Baker need to be the leader, he needs to be the biggest voice in the locker room, and I don't know if he can do that with OBJ in the locker room. That's why that would be my reason why I would think that he needs that OBJ needs to be traded because they could do just as good with Jarvis Landry. This is a perfect draft to get rid of a receiver like OBJ because they're deep. This draft is deep with wide receiver. If you could trade OBJ and get get a couple, get some draft capital even for this year and for next year because next year you got a good draft class too. I think that he would be better, and they did the right thing by going to get him a quality tight end in Austin Hooper um, because that's that's where Baker Mayfield kind of thrives when he gets in trouble. He's a kind of smaller quarterback, so he gets in trouble because the offensive line is kind of that Michael Vick syndrome where you can't always see what's going on, but you get a big target over the middle, that's a good bailout. So I like what they're doing. I do think they need to get rid of OBJ. Baker doesn't need him coming in every other place and get the ball to me when Jarvis Landry is getting open most of the time and OBJ is trying to go deep. So I got a quick question for you. So if Leonard Fournette or Odell Beckham Jr., either one of those guys are traded, what do you think is the most logical trade destination for both of them? Uh, Leonard Fournette, I would love to see him on the Chiefs. Um, if they could find a way to get Leonard Fournette on the Chiefs, I think the Chiefs would be super dangerous because he showed that he has the ability to catch the ball, and you know that he can pound it. With people not being able to stack the box against the Leonard Fournette, and he's still in his rookie contract, so that'll be a perfect 
way for the Chiefs to get someone on this year. Now, I'm not sure if they could re-sign him next year, but this one year, if they could get Leonard Fournette in there, that would be excellent. OBJ would need to go somewhere like the Denver Broncos. I think the Broncos would be good for OBJ. Instead of them going and trying to draft a player, if they can get a player with like OBJ to go with Cortland Sutton and kind of help that uh, Drew Locke, because Drew Locke is a gunslinger. Drew Locke is a player that will throw it up in double coverage and try to trust that his receiver go gets it. That's the type of place that um, Odell Beckham needs to be. He needs to be at a place where the quarterback kind of closes their eyes, throws the ball up, and hope that the receiver will get it. Another place that I think Odell would thrive in would be the Bears. Um, Trubisky and Nick Foles, that would be a good situation with Allen Robinson. Another player to go on the outside. If you get Odell Beckham Jr. with Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller in the slot, I think that would do wonders for their quarterback situation either way. I agree with that. I, I would, part of me would like to see, and I know Marcus will love this, I just really think that Leonard Fournette would be a good fit with the Raiders. Josh I think Jacobs, John Gruden like What's that? Yeah, true. And and I don't know if John that's that was why I was hesitant in that because I don't know if John Gruden will want to do a dual back system. I mean, with Josh Jacobs emerging like he has, there wouldn't really be a need for it. But I just I don't know. I just see him as a Raider for some odd reason, even though that will probably never happen. But you know, you also have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well. Looks yeah. like you know, I mean, they they could use a solid player like that. Maybe you know, you give Tom Brady an additional weapon that that would go a long way with that team. Yeah, and like I said, he's he's been he's shown his ability to catch it out the backfield and be able to create yards wherever he goes. Leonard Fournette needs to be a volume carry back. He's I don't think he would be good in a, a committee because he's not a his runs aren't necessarily efficient. You know what I mean? He's not an efficient runner. Even with Jacksonville with the breakout season last year, I mean, you get a lot of two-yard, negative-yard runs before you get a 40-yard run. And I don't know if that's going to fit in a committee system. You need somewhere where you can kind of pound him old-school style and let it build up, build up to the point where now he's wearing the defense down at the end of the game. That's why I would like to see him with the Chiefs because the Chiefs can start using him in the second half to close out games. He'll be a player that you wouldn't need to use early but when they get their leads like they typically do, you don't have to rely on Mahomes throwing the ball all around. You can just hand it off to Fournette and let him close out the game in the second half. Excellent analysis, Big Facts. Excellent Thank analysis. You, sir. Thank you, sir. You're trying, you're trying to audition for NFL Network over here, man. I see you. They're going to get a copy of this, and they're going to be like, hey, I don't know who that other dude is, but Big Facts Reed, he knows what he's talking about. Nah, I'm not going to go corporate. That. I'm trying to take the network, <laughs> trying to take the network and make them into – Fox I Network. That. <laughs> I heard that, man. Well, hey, as long as I can run the 40 time at the uh, NFL Combine like Rich Eisen, I'm good with that. Uh, we want to see what so, your shuffle look like, man. <laughs> man, yo, I I hadn't done a shuffle in a minute. So I don't know. I got to at least get a good year to train first, man. So we had another big trade, man. Uh, you know, not earth-shattering, but uh, Brandon Cooks, former Los Angeles Rams wide receiver, Traded to the Texans after Bill O'Brien made the dumbest, in my humble opinion, the dumbest trade ever. Will you trade Nuck Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins, for nothing? Man, Not a thing. It's like Let the go. worst worst trade since what the Ricky Williams trade. That's like one of the worst trades in history, man. Exactly, man. I mean, he just pretty much 
assured that Deshaun Watson will not be coming back when he's up for a contract. But uh, they get Brandon Cooks, which, you know, if you're getting the Brandon Cooks that played for the New Orleans Saints, I would say, wow, that's a steal. But you're getting a Brandon Cooks that's very injury prone. He's more or less almost like a shell of himself. He's not the same player. I would even say if you got the Brandon Cooks that played for the New England Patriots, you'd be getting a good quality player. But it's just, you know, he's fallen on hard times. He's been through it. You know, he's uh, been on multiple teams and had a lot of injuries to deal with. So it's going to be a long road to hold with um, Deshaun Watson in the passing game. Now, as you mentioned earlier, it is a very wide receiver, rich draft. So I, I would say you could trade and get like maybe a Henry Ruggs or a Jerry Judy, but I wouldn't trust Bill O'Brien in making a decision like that. And then you could also find like some good wide receivers day two, day day three. But I just don't think that uh, Bill O'Brien will really have the mental fortitude to do something like that. You know, I'm not so down on this Texans wide receiving core. Uh, the biggest problem with this Texas wide receiving core is that they're injury prone. But if those receivers could actually stay healthy, they have some weapons around Deshaun, uh, Deshaun Watson. They have Kenny Stills. They have Brandon Cooks now. If Will, Will Fuller, Fuller, you know what I mean? Uh, what was the other guy? They just drafted him. Kiki Cordy. They have some young, fast, quick receivers that can make plays, but the biggest problem is they're all injury-prone. Will Fuller can't consistently stay there. Uh, Brandon Cooks suffers from concussions. Any big hits can take him out. Now, I I don't want to knock Brandon Cooks because I think everywhere he's been where he had a quality quarterback, he's produced. But the fact that I don't want to knock him because he was playing with Jared Goff because I don't think Jared Goff is a good quarterback. I think Jared Goff goes off the reads, whatever his court, his head coach Sean McVay says. I don't think he can see the field like a Deshaun Watson. A player like Deshaun Watson that can extend the play makes it great for a player like um, Brandon Cooks because that's what happened with Drew Brees. If he makes that play last a little bit longer, that's where Brandon Cooks' speed comes in comes in at because he can. He might not be the best route runner, but his speed is exceptional. And he can get separation where you can throw that ball. You just got to be able to get it to him. So I'm not so down on Deshaun Watson and that Texans. I'm My problem is I don't know if any of those receivers can stay healthy. Hell, I don't know how many games Kiki Cordy's played in the two years. Like, every receiver on that team is injury prone. So I will just say this. The Houston Texans are lucky that they play in the division that is winnable for them. True. Now, we really have to see – if the Tennessee Titans will carry over any of that momentum from last year that uh, got Ryan Tannehill a huge contract. I have no faith in Ryan Tannehill. I don't either. I think they're going to regret letting Mariota go. But we we shall see. We shall see. Uh, The Indianapolis Colts, you know, they have Phillip Rivers, which uh, a lot of people aren't too excited about because you're not getting prime Phillip Rivers. You're getting at the end of his career Phillip Rivers. Almost, um, you know, it's ironic. It almost mirrors what Johnny Unitas went through when he went to the San Diego Chargers back in the day. You got uh, over the hill Johnny Unitas. The Colts have an elite offensive line, and I don't think the Chargers had that line that could keep Phillip Rivers upright. And Phil Rivers really likes to get the ball out as quick as possible. He doesn't want to hold it. So with that offensive line and that run game, if Marlon Mack can stay healthy, I think that Phillip Rivers can be effective in that offense just because and, the 
and I think he's familiar with Frank Reich's system yeah. as well, and I think that helps too. But the the division is very winnable for the True. Houston Texans. So I mean, they've um, it's a division where a nine win team could win it. Shit, it's, it's happened definitely. before. It's, that's why he still got a job. <laughs> exactly. When you win the conference championship four out of the last five years, and then you know you have a nine and seven record, and you win a couple of playoff games, it usually helps. But I think if this falls apart, not only is this the death knell for the Houston Texans because Deshaun Watson will probably leave, and I think that there will be a strong market for Deshaun Watson, especially if he puts up another season like he like he had a few years ago during his rookie well, campaign before he got hurt. But the thing is, is that with quarterbacks, they don't have that luxury, man. It's going to be hard for Watson to leave because they're not going to let him go. You don't let franchise quarterbacks go. And they yeah, they're going to tag him. They'll yeah, tag they him. can control him with the tag, and then after you tag him once, or twice it's going to offer him so much money where it's just not even logical as a human being to turn down you know what i'm saying you as a O'Brien will get fired they'll fire him if, if think, this falls apart he'll i wouldn't say all right let me walk back my previous statement it won't be the death knell for the houston texans but it will be the death knell for bill o'brien he's gonna have to go back to college and coach bro i'm just i don't think they're gonna have a bad year i think everyone's anticipating they're gonna have a bad year but he's gonna win he's gonna win I think they're going to probably have a go eleven season. and five. Yeah, I think they're going to have a great season. I think David Johnson. I mean, you've had Lamar Miller look like look great behind that offensive line. You had Carlos Hyde, who looked like he was washed up, come in mid season and look great behind that offensive line. Now you're putting a David Johnson, who two years ago was like one of the best players in the football in football. You put him behind the offensive line, and all they want him to do is run downhill between those who up between those holes you have a bunch of deep threats that can stretch the field so you can't stack the box i think the texans are gonna have a good year man even with the loss of deandre hopkins well if there is a football season i i agree with you on that one somehow some way they do find a way to win and the afc is wide open this year i would say well the afc west is and i think the chiefs will pretty much run that division but with tom brady leaving you know there's really you know nobody's really checking for the new england patriots now so it's fair game so who knows i mean who really knows and you got to think about it the houston texans took the kansas city chiefs to the limit yeah they did i mean they did that's why i said i mean even without a hop i don't know if hop and deshaun watson were always on the same page anyway i think Hop may have put a lot of pressure on Deshaun Watson to try to force it and get the ball to him. But I don't think now that there's a receiver on that team that can make Deshaun Watson throw it to him. I think he'll be a lot better with not having a go-to receiver where he can kind of spread the ball and make plays the way he wants to make plays and he doesn't have to look at Hopkins. Uh, You got to remember, man, Hopkins is kind of a bully. Even when they had those years of bad quarterbacks, if they were losing and he wasn't getting the ball, he would definitely tell the quarterback. Now, it might have been more polite when he talked to Watson about it, but he's not the type to – I mean, you might not see him in the media like a T.O. and all these other receivers, but believe me, he's not just sitting over there cool with not getting the ball for a half. So I think this could take pressure off of Watson, and we could see a Watson – that we hadn't seen before, you know, like the Clemson version of Watson where this is his team and he has a lot of receivers that can stretch the field and do a lot of different things. So I'm I'm, I'm actually optimistic about this Texas team, man. So we shall see. I really hope that we get a football season. I hope COVID-19 just doesn't 
mess it all up. I hope it doesn't mess up my summer. Channeling <laughs> Scotty Pippen <laughs> from Scottie. the documentary. I'm gonna enjoy my summer. <laughs> yeah, me too. Regardless, I'm gonna enjoy it. But uh, speaking of uh, grand opening and grand closings, man, the XFL bankrupt. You know, we I really it's crazy because I had my doubts when. Vince McMahon announced that he was doing it over again. I remember the XFL in 2001, which was just bad football. I'm a huge WWE fan. I'm a huge football fan. The two should never intertwine with one another. I want to keep them separate. The first XFL proved that. It's it's separate, not equal. Not, you know, they, that just shouldn't go together. But when he when they unveiled the plan for it, I was thinking to myself, wow, this could really work. You know, it seemed like they were doing it right. You got football people to run a football league versus wrestling people to run a wrestling league. And when Oliver Luck was announced as the commissioner, I'm thinking, man, this could actually work. And then when they announced the rule, I was actually excited. I watched a ton of XFL games. Me too. But with but with COVID-19. You can't play in a stadium full of fans. They had to pull the plug. Vince McMahon put over $100 million into the XFL, and they furloughed employees, players. Hey, you feel free to seek contracts elsewhere. I know a couple of folks have already signed with teams. Uh, P.J. Walker signed with the Carolina Panthers from the Houston Roughnecks, and a lot of other guys, you know, have – People, I, th- I believe the Cowboys picked up a safety from the Roughnecks, and a couple of other people have signed uh, in, in uh, different with different NFL clubs. But it's just, you know, it really sucks because I was really interested in seeing how this was going to play off. I think we would have probably just now been in the midst of the XFL playoffs. And it, what really sucks about it is all these guys who got a second chance to play football now are out of a job. There are a lot of people out of a job. I mean, these are definitely scary and uncertain times. And one thing that you and I can be blessed about is that we still have jobs to go to and we yeah. can still support our families. But it seems like a lot of these players are going through it, man. And I really hated seeing the AAF fold. And I thought that we would eventually see some expansion with the XFL, maybe using some of the AAF teams or absorbing them. But it really would have been a great training ground for a lot of football players who aren't, you know, your typical year one NFL guys. You know, it's spring football, so it's not competing with the NFL. But at the same time, you know, it really gives like a minor league baseball feel to it. You know, you have guys who played football who were standouts in college who still get another crack at it, man. And it really sucks to see it fall, to see it go under and see a lot of people lose their jobs. You're talking about it like it's completely dead. I will say that it's not completely dead yet. Uh, unlike the AAF, who filed Chapter 7, um, XFL filed Chapter 11, which means that uh, someone can still come in and buy it um, at a chip, cheaper price, you know, if they come in and buy off some of the debt. It is, like you said, unfortunate for the XFL because they actually took their time. And it, it sucks because they they put a plan together where they were instituting these things for the last two years before they actually got started. And that ended up screwing them in the long run because if they were to start it last year, 
then they, they would have got through a full season. And that's just what it comes down to. You invest all that money in any new business and you don't recruit some of it in the first year. You have to furlough players and still play or pay them on unemployment and maybe not get the loans that you need to pay that money. That's really why the XFL failed. It didn't have anything to do like with the first time with the product on the field because I think they were on to something. So hopefully – some some smart investor that can afford it sees that the potential that the XFL has and they they see that these players are getting signed from the XFL and that that small sample size I think we had a large number of people based on the small sample size of the XFL get signed so obviously people were watching it so hopefully someone can pick up the XFL and we can get that later because I agree with you I didn't think it was bad I just think it's the first year of any sport which doesn't look great but it was a lot it was quality in my opinion and they took their time with it It it's very good quality and they had a network they had two networks carrying it you had espn you had fox and And i mean just the presentation alone man from those two major networks that brought a lot of clout to the xfl in my opinion and the gambling factor of it too exactly I, i I think that was big that they would do spreads and lines and update it during the game, and they weren't shying away from the gambling aspect of it. They fully embraced the gambling and the Vegas part of it, and I actually thought that was what was going to make them last. And I thought there were a lot of cool innovations that they had, uh, especially with a point-after attempt. I really liked that, where you could either do a one-point conversion, two-point conversion, or a three-point conversion. I really liked the shootout style of the overtime which i think you know the nfl's overtime should be overhauled anyway to match college because there's no reason why you should have ties in a football game it just shouldn't exist but i like the faster pace of the l and i yeah oh go ahead go ahead no i was just agreeing with you with the pace like that was the biggest part for me is the pace how they speeded up the earlier parts of the game but they had the two two minute comeback but there's no reason why these games should last so long and i'm with you on the conversion but i i like the overall speed quality of the game though so do you foresee now when the xfl was around in 2001 I know that from a presentation angle, the NFL borrowed a lot from the XFL. The XFL, if you look at it from a broadcasting standpoint, was fairly innovative. They had the first sky cam. The, the reason the yeah. NFL took that from the XFL, do you foresee, in your big facts and infinite wisdom, do you foresee a lot any of the XFL rules being taken by the NFL and adapted to fit the NFL game? I definitely think some rules are going to be adapted. I just don't know how many. I mean, I think the kickoff rules will be the the most likely to be adapted just because they were safer. Um, and that's what the NFL has been looking at over the past couple of years of how to keep the kickoff and kind of make it safer. So I think that's the biggest rule that will be adapted. After that, I think they're going to have to take a look at those conversion um, type things where I think they'll still leave the field goal in there, but give an option for not only a two-point conversion, but a three-point conversion. You know, you know what I'm saying? Even a one-point conversion, I mean, we take for granted. Even if you don't do a three-point conversion, do a one-point conversion because there's so many teams like the Steelers who went through a kicking situation, I think, last year or the year before where their kicker was so bad that they just went for it every time. Steelers, if the they Bears, just put in, the Bucks. Yeah. If you just put in a one-point conversion, not even a – you put in a one-point conversion, a two-point conversion, a one-point conversion option, a two-point conversion option, or a field goal. 
I think that's that's the evolution. If I don't have to carry a kicker and I can just go for it on for a one point conversion every time, I mean, I think that's a valid. So those are the two biggest things that I think you could see implemented into the NFL. And so I know that the sky cam came from the XFL. I know that players being mic'd up essentially came from the XFL too. One thing that I hope the interviews, I don't think. Yeah, that shouldn't <laughs> that not. shouldn't carry over. I thought the the only thing that I thought was kind of like eh, a little hokey was the whole like sideline interviews, like after a player yeah. scores a touchdown or you know it's just something, and it was just kind of like you know live and off the cuff. I think they should have left that one alone. I think you should save the sideline reporting for either after something happens or, you know, something major like an injury or whatever, how they do it on the NFL presentation. I mean, you don't get to ask us. And I didn't really like the fact that I, while I thought it was cool, you know, you get to basically see the coaches call plays and I'm like, so how does that yeah, translate? I, I, yeah, I didn't it, like that because now you're giving a playbook away and that made no sense to me, but um, it sucks to see it go. But I, I want to say, like, I love the NFL, I love watching football, but I do not want to hear an extensive amount of football players talking. It is not entertaining. It's not entertaining at all. No, it's really not, man. And honestly, like, I could have did without some of that (laughs) stuff. But, you know, the XFL for me was enjoyable. I I enjoy football. You know, it was – I watched the AAF, and I I really – didn't like the fact that the AAF folded. And I know that Marcus used to crucify the AAF on some of the earlier episodes of the Two Smart Dummies, which you can also catch on the uh, Two Smart Network at www.twosmartnetwork.com and all available streaming platforms. But, uh, yeah, he used to just just slay the AAF, no, I, I enjoyed it. I like football. I, I love – I watch a lot of bad sports. I mean, you know, I can usually get through it. I mean, I watched a Netflix special on cricket, and I'm trying to, like, learn cricket. So I – but AF, that shit was horrible, Hey, man, at, at this point, <laughs> I, mean, I will watch terrible, anything. Man. I will watch the CFL. I will watch ESPN 8, the Ocho, during the time. Hey, the Ocho might pop right now. They might try to get it going. Me too, man, because honestly, with the content that ESPN needs right now and just these times that we're going through – I will watch it twenty four seven. I mean, I'm watching Sports Center right now, and they're not—they don't have anything to talk about except this documentary. So, so in a little late breaking news here, we have just gotten word that the New England Patriots have agreed, in principle, to trade recently unretired, and this is like recently, recently unretired, as a few hours ago, Rob Gronkowski going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to reunite with Tom Brady. Before we get into our segment about some unheralded picks, big facts. What do you think about that? What is your immediate reaction to this late breaking news? Rob Gronkowski, not only unretired, but going to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, my immediate reaction is this sounds like this is big for Tampa Bay, man, to get Gronk. Even if Gronk isn't the Gronk of old, he's still something familiar for Tom Brady. He's a safety net. You know, a lot of people had concerns that, Brady may have lost something in his arm where he couldn't really throw down the field. And I think Gronkowski coming back being a safety net for him. I don't know how healthy Gronkowski is. I don't know how effective he'll be because he showed some wear and tear in his last season. But I don't see how this could be a bad sign in any way. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking, and I'll get on this really quickly. I'm thinking that Gronkowski just got tired of the Patriot way. Yeah, uh, definitely. I I mean (laughs) – you can see you can see it in his eyes. He looked like a broken man 
when he talked about how many concussions that he had, all the injuries that he had, when he just spoke about how depressed he was getting over playing football, it seems like it wasn't he was upset with the game, but rather he was tired of Bill Belichick and didn't really know how to convey that properly or say it properly. Well, I mean, when you're under contract, it's hard because you really have no no say. You know what I mean? You don't even if you wanted to leave the pass, they got you under control for another year. Um, you would have to play that out. And they kind of play hardball. Everyone talks about the Patriots way. Yeah, the Patriots way works for the players that it worked for. But there's been a lot of players that the Patriot way did not work for. You know what I mean? There's been a lot of disgruntled play players that feel like they weren't paid what they were worth, feel like they were being used up. So you're going to see a lot of that. At some point, there's going to be like a documentary and it's going to talk about the Patriot way and talk about how brutal. Now, that's a part of business. It's worked for them. It helped them have this long-running success and stay under the cap and be able to, you know, maneuver. But, I mean, in order to do that, you have to be kind of brutal and cold to your players. And I think Gronk kind of got tired of it and taking that beating probably felt underappreciated because uh, it's kind of funny. Now, in Tampa, he's like, yeah, I'll go there. I, want to, I still want to play. So, he was always on the fence. Last year, they were speculating that he might come back. You could tell that he was missing it a bit. Um, so I'm not that surprised. I'm surprised that the Patriots would trade him, though. I'm not. I think eventually everybody is on the chopping block with New England. I mean, they got a little value for him. What, they only had to give up, what, a fourth-round draft pick maybe? Yeah. Or they got a fourth-round draft pick, and they gave up a seventh-round draft pick, and it looks like Tampa Bay will take on the rest of a $10 million contract that Gronk But only had. a one-year contract. So you got a one-year $10 million, You gave up a fourth-round pick. I mean, if you're Tampa Bay, you don't need any more rookies, any draft picks. I mean, so it really costs Tampa Bay nothing. Um, it helped New England. They have a great great um, scouting department. So a fourth-round pick for them, you never know, could turn into an – all pro players. So more picks for them, more draft capital for them. That's what they're about. They're about maneuvering, using their draft capital to get players, get in position. So works for both teams, man. I'm interested to see how it works out. Yeah, it's crazy. You know that uh, Tampa Bay offense, now that you have Gronk and O.J. Howard, for now we don't know what that really means until Thursday because, you know, a lot of wheeling and dealing could be going on at the NFL draft. But for right now, that looks like a dangerous offense, man. So it'll be interesting what happens in the NFC South. This yeah, year. yeah, man. I personally think that OJ Howard is trash, and they're probably going to try to move him to get some of that draft capital back. I don't know how many uh, teams would be show interest, but yeah, I think that they're going to move on from him and go with Gronk and Cameron Brake. Agreed, agreed. Well, it looks like. That's a perfect segue now that we're talking about the NFL draft. Let's talk about some of the – so let's just back <laughs> it up just a tad. So we know that Joe Burrow is probably going to be a consensus number one overall pick. We know guys like Tua Tagovailoa, Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb. These guys are going to be for sure day one first-round draft picks. But what we're talking about – this evening or some of the underrated draft prospects, the diamonds in the rough, yeah. if you will, some of the guys that may be flying under the radar a little bit, but you and I have compiled a list. And so this isn't really a ranking of these draft prospects, just guys that we noticed on our radar that caught our attention 
who we think could end up being a definitely steal for a lot of these teams on draft day. A lot of guys who are flying under the radar. So with that being said, I will let you start us off on our list of underrated draft prospects for the 2020 NFL draft. Yeah, as any NFL fan knows, I mean, everyone t- tunes in to the draft, you know, to see who who their team's going to pick up in the first, second, and third round. But the real meat of the draft where you can build a championship team comes in those later rounds where you can find jewels. Some of these players could end up being undrafted free agents. We've seen a lot of undrafted free agents come into the league also. Um, but to start it off, man, I want to go with the running back from Memphis, man. Memphis has been putting out a lot of talent lately. Uh, last year they put in Daryl Henderson, who didn't really get to showcase his talent, but it seems like the Los Angeles Rams are – uh, they are pretty confident in them because they traded Ty Gurley away. Uh, Tony Pollard had a big impact for Dallas. I mean, they should gave them the security to feel like, you know, they could go without Zeke even though they folded. But he, he showed a lot of good things. Uh, but Patrick Taylor played with Daryl Henderson and Tony Pollard, and he still was a force. I mean, in 2017, I mean, 2018, he had 208 carries, 1,122 yards, 16 touchdowns, and average 5.4 yards per carry. He also had 17 receptions, 197 yards, and two touchdowns. That's 18 touchdowns. Now, just think about that he also played with Daryl Henderson, who ran for something like 1,700 yards on just seven more carries than him. So, yes, they played in a very explosive offense, but still, being able to pound the ball, being able to play in a committee and play with a speed back and still get into the end zone 18 times, I think that's a trait that could um, that could cross over to the NFL and really add value to a team. Now, in 2019, he could have went to the he, he had the same draft grade as Tony Pollard, so he could have went pro. Decided to come back for his senior year, you know, to up his draft stock. First game of the season, unfortunately, he got hurt, uh, missed like seven or eight games when he came back. There was a young guy there that already kind of took his position, so he didn't get the workload that he thought. But he still ran for 4.5 yards per carry, had five touchdowns. So I think this kid, uh, even though he lacks some speed, he can catch the ball. Uh, He's a pounder. He's solid, man. And with the way that they use uh, committee backs now, I think he'll fit perfect in the NFL. So my pick, my first underrated draft prospect so a guy who has really climbed the boards here in recent weeks i'm going with a university of kentucky wide receiver slash qb lynn bouton jr man so lynn bouton jr was asked to step in wide receiver by trade but he was asked to step in at uh, quarterback for the university of kentucky due to injuries to the qb1 and the second string qb Man, this guy was a complete animal. Paul Horning Award winner had over 1,800 yards from scrimmage, 14 receiving touchdowns. Uh, He rushed for over 1,400 yards with 13 touchdowns, had 348 receiving yards with the touchdown. And passing wasn't too shabby, you know, 35 over 74 for 403 yards, three touchdowns, three picks. Belt Bowl MVP put the team on his back. Now... In the NFL, I don't think he will be a quarterback in the league. He most likely will be either a slot receiver or a kick and punt returner. Uh, One NFL comparison that really just jumps out at me would be obviously former University of Kentucky quarterback turned wide receiver in the NFL, Randall Cobb. They're about the same size. You know, they play a lot of the same 
Uh, they have similar attributes. I think one thing that really makes Lynn, Lynn Bouton Jr. stand out, you know, he just has a toughness to him. He has a lot of dog in him, and I think a lot of scouts know that. Uh, some of the strengths that he has, he's well-built with above-average plays, highly competitive. He's creative, so play callers in the NFL level are going to love his versatility. He's very good at zone reads. He's a running back with jet sweep value, so you can kind of use him as a combination there. He has excellent vision and toughness. Uh, he's strong with the ball in his hand, a little slippery. But uh, I think just the knock on him is he carries the ball a little bit loosely, and he kind of lacks explosives in short spaces. So the route running needs a little work, but I think, you know, he's definitely a raw talent and you can do a lot with him, especially looking at how versatile he was in college. I mean, Lynn Bowden Jr. murdered my Arkansas <laughs> Razorbacks when they played Kentucky, man. I mean, the guy just was a complete beast and went off. I think that um, really, I think he, he has an edge to him. I mean, the guy did get into a fight with his own teammate before the bowl game. <laughs> so he's definitely scrappy. He's definitely tough. But uh, I think that he will make an impact at the next level. More than likely, you know, he'll probably be a backup receiver, but I could really see him having a big impact in the kick return game. Yeah, man, just a versatile weapon. If you can just find ways to find be valuable for NFL teams, that usually plays in your favor. So I agree, man. Um, my next prospect is Adam Troutsman. From, he's a tight end from Dayton, 6'6", 253 pounds. Uh, he's one of those tight ends in the mold of a Zach Ertz or, a, um, you know, Travis Kells, one of those um, wide receivers slash tight ends. You can flex him out. He played a lot of wide receiver. He had a big year as a senior with 41, um, with 70 receptions, 916 yards, and 14 touchdowns. In his junior year, he had nine touchdowns. So he's really, really good around the goal line. He needs to improve his blocking. But you've seen in the NFL, tight, tight ends have become one of the most valuable weapons in the NFL. And going to a small school does not keep you from becoming a valuable tight end in the NFL. A lot of those skills transfer over no matter the competition. We've seen that a lot in the NFL. And I think Adam Trasman has the tools to be a really good tight end in his league. Um, he just has to get with the right team, the right system, a team that's not wanting him to just line up and block and that can move him around the formation like that, like some of these other teams do. So I really like his skill set. I think that he can surprise a lot of teams, man. So my next pick is Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver, Arizona State. So he's a prospect out of the Herm Edwards system. He got a lot of shine on the HBO series, uh, College Football 24-7. So he transferred from a smaller school, Sierra College, after uh, the 2018 season. Really had a breakout year in his career uh, in 2019, where he was third team, AP All-American, first team, All-Pac-12. Uh, he led the Sun Devils with 65 receptions for 1,192 yards and eight touchdowns. And he was also one of the best returners in the country at 14 returns for 226 yards. He averaged 16.1 yards per return. So some of his strengths, he uh, really, and now he is actually projected to be a first round pick. So flew under the radar because this is a very wide receiver heavy draft. But uh, a lot of people have him going to your Eagles as high as that in the first round. I think what at 21. Yeah. So he's definitely leafed off a lot of boards lately. Uh, you know, some of his strengths are, you know, he's really 
He has a really quick burst, so he can get into open windows for any quarterback. Uh, his routes are very crisp and fast, but a little linear. Uh, he has long arms and soft hands, so for above average catch radius, he's uh, definitely a first down maker, and he's uh, great at getting yards after the catch, and he has really good instincts of an open field vision running back. I think some of the knocks on him, uh, he needs a little bit of physicality, so he does have room to grow. You know, coming out of college, I think an NFL training program will really benefit him. Uh, he usually gains a lot of his receiving yardage off the catch and run throws. So with that physicality, you know, he needs to learn to create more space and more catch space for his frame. But uh, he's being looked at heavily, man, where, you know, you're looking for a, a good player on, uh, well, I guess for teams who can't get a Henry Ruggs, can't get a Jerry Judy, can't get a CD Lamb, you know, Brandon Ayuk would be a great option, you know, being talked about as early as the first round, probably maybe a day two player going early in the third or early in the second, early in the third. But I think he'd be a great value pickup for a lot of folks at definitely someone you can depend on to be your third wide receiver. Yeah, man. And he actually put up better numbers than Nikhil Harry. There's a lot of hype for Nikhil Harry coming out last year and he outproduced Nikhil Harry. So if this draft wasn't so deep, he probably would be going higher on draft boards. It's just one of the deepest wide receiver drafts that we've seen in a while. But yeah, I really like that kid also. Uh, my next prospect, um, think everyone knows his dad mr thaddeus moss from lsu you know what i mean he had limited playing time so that's one of the biggest knocks on him you just don't know what you're going to get from him he started at north carolina state as a freshman played in three games he didn't have exceptional stats like 49 yards he wasn't being used like he wanted to he ends up transferring to lsu because he transferred he had to sit out he also has shoulder surgery. But in the one year that he played at LSU, he set the record for receptions and yards among tight, uh, four LSU tight ends. He had 47 catches, 570 yards, and four touchdowns. Dude has exceptional hands. He rarely drops any passes. Came up big for them in the playoffs with some incredible catches. Some will say that might be because he had one of the most accurate quarterbacks in college football, which is going to be the knock on Justin Jefferson also. But still, you have to catch those passes. If the quarterback puts it right where it needs to be, he catches those passes. But the fact that you don't have a lot of game film on him and he has a bit of an injury history could cause him to fall in the draft. But as I said, with, like I said about Adam Trestman, you think that there's a lot of great tight ends in the NFL? They're not. That skill set of being able to be versatile and play wide receiver, there's not a lot of those tight ends in the league. That's why you see there's only about five of them right now. We have 32 NFL teams. I think there's a spot where Thaddeus Young can be successful. Now, he's he's not very, very explosive. He's not overly athletic, but that hasn't stopped tight ends in the past. I think as long as he has reliable hands, he can get open. He can catch the ball, anything kind of in his area. He's just not as dynamic as some of the tight ends that have came out in the past, like a Noah Fant or Irv Smith. But reliable hands is something that you want from a tight end, especially around the goal line area. So I definitely think he can help a team. Well, with the last name of Moss, he <laughs> definitely has a lot to live up to, and that's a strong pedigree to come Seriously. from. So I know a lot of people will be looking at him off of that uh, comparison alone. So I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, where North Carolina State University is located. Uh, a lot of people hated to see him go. 
So he was really a highly touted prospect coming up. Didn't play a whole lot, but a lot of people were excited for the future. But, you know, he's a big integral piece of that LSU offense and uh, what they were able to do this year and what Joe Burrow was able to do. He's one of a very reliable weapon for Carolina Joe Burrow. Carolina could definitely use him, man. They just lost Greg Olson. Uh, Ian Thomas hadn't been overly impressed, impressive. You got uh, Teddy Bridgewater back there. I think that would be a great spot for him. And so – I am going to stick with the LSU Tigers. Uh, you know, Thad Moss was definitely an offensive weapon for uh, Joe Burrow, and he was an integral part of the team. Well, I'm going to go with uh, another integral piece of that championship team from this year. My So this one was a tough one for me, but I think that this is a player who deserved it. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, yeah, nice. running back from LSU, man. He was insane this year. He has a six or six point three nine prospect grade from a lot of the NFL scouts, which means he'll be a starter in the first two seasons. So he comes from a long line of great running backs from LSU. So you got uh, Darius Geis, Leonard Fournette, you know some of the guys more recently, and then L. Air was the next in line. Had a strong 2019 season where he garnered All SEC honors. First team as a running back, second team as a returner. He had about 1,415 yards and 16 touchdowns as a running back. Uh, as a returner, he averaged, I uh, believe, well, excuse me, pardon me, as a receiver, he had 55 receptions, 453 yards, one touchdown, but he averaged 8.2 yards per catch. And as a kick returner, he had 10 returns for 214 yards with the average yards per gain of uh, 21.4. So he led LSU in all-purpose yards in 2018, and uh, he was a finalist for the Hornig Award, which was won by Lynn Bowden Jr., as well. So I think a lot of the strengths when you look at Clyde Edwards Alaire, ball security. He has really good ball security. He's compact, so he runs low to the ground and he has superb bend and balance. Uh, 36% of his carries were either first downs or touchdowns in 2019. He can go, cut and go anywhere without going. Uh, he can gather himself very quickly and cut agility laterally or downhill. Uh, he has a good spin move. He can make tacklers miss, you know, all the qualities that you look for in an elusive running back. Uh, a lot of people. And so a lot of people are projecting that he'll probably be a second round pick. I think uh, some of his weaknesses are, um, <laughs> yeah, he's just small. <laughs> yep. He has short arms. Uh, his speed is kind of average. And then he's smaller as an interior runner. But, you know, I think that with he's he's got the talent to definitely be a pickup on Friday in the second or third round. I, I think his tape speaks for yeah. itself. And the only knock on him is just his size. Yeah. I, I think he could be a starter in the league within the next two to three. Yeah, I've years. heard comparisons to Brian Westbrook. A lot of a lot of people are comparing him to Brian Westbrook. He might not be fast in the forty time, but he plays way faster on game tape than he may be running straight lines. So I really like him as a prospect. I think he'll be impactful too. He was a really big part of that LSU's offense, and that LSU's offense was very very versatile, which is a part of the new NFL. So I like that pick, man. Um, I'm going to go with another Memphis player. Like I said, man, Memphis is just generating, putting out skilled players, man. I like uh, Antonio Gibson. He's a, he's classifying as a wide receiver, uh, 
But some think that he might be a running back. He didn't carry the ball that often. He had like 33 attempts in his senior year for 369 yards. Uh, four, I think he had 11 yards of carry. No, that's not right. Yeah, something like that. 369 yards, four touchdowns. He had 38 receptions, 735 yards, uh, eight touchdowns. So he had 12 touchdowns, 71 plays for 1,104 yards, man. He was an offensive weapon for a dynamic Memphis team. But he's 6'2", 220 pounds, and people feel like even though he's classifying as a wide receiver, that teams think that he could be a dynamic running back, a type of player that you can use as a pass-catching running back, a third-down running back, uh, something like that. The dude ran a 4.39 40-yard dash and had a 35-inch vertical jump, so he has blazing speed at 6'2". So if, if you get him with the right coach and the right coordinator, it's no limits to the talent this kid can have because he's already, you know, has the skills of a running back, receiving skills. So I'd be interested to see where he's drafted because he has a lot of the skill sets of Tony Pollard, but he's a lot bigger and he runs a 4.39. And what you can do with that weapon, just on kick returns alone, he should make the special teams alone, he should make the roster. So I definitely think he'll get drafted because he has that skill set to play special teams and you can put him as running back, wide receiver. One thing about being in the NFL is that the more positions you can cover, that's less roster spots that they that you, that you take up. So you can put one player that can cover three roster spots that allow them to put in an offensive lineman, a you know a defensive lineman, and make that roster on Sundays more versatile. So I think Antonio Robertson will make a team, and I think he'll break out, man. So we have a lot of agreement when it comes to skilled players on this list, man, because I am sticking with wideouts. <laughs> Uh, another Paul Hornig Award finalist, K.J. Hamler, wide receiver out of Penn State, man. So he is originally from Michigan, but uh, he was a four-star recruit coming out of the IMG Academy in Florida, which we it seems like a lot of recruits come out of the IMG Academy in Florida. Had a little bit of an injury history, man, towards ACL his first year at uh, Penn State. But uh, in 2018, he was healthy enough to play all 13 games, become an honorable mention. He really shined. And as a receiver, you know, he's blazing fast, got a lot of blazing speed. A lot of people compare him to Tavon mm. Austin. So that's uh, especially coming out in the draft now. Tavon, not a great, not a great NFL career. career. <laughs> Been yeah. so so. But in college, man, he was the man, you know, ran with blazing speed, really shined in a return game. Uh, it looks like so at Penn State, you know, not great numbers here you know 42 receptions 754 yards so five touchdowns as a kick returner 20 kick returns for 523 yards an average of 26.2 yards 14 punt returns 90 for 96 yards with an average of 6.9 but uh it looks like you know he did decent enough and his speed really has him a lot uh well really has him on a lot of teams radars he can stretch the field from the slot. He has explosive athletic ability. He really, when Penn State played Ohio State, he really took Jeff Okuda, who is a lot of people's top-ranked defensive backs, to the limit. So he really had a good showing against him. And I think that's what really has everybody locked in on him because if you can do that to such an NFL-ready yeah. corner, then, you know, if you could do that to him, then you could really shine in the league with some good development. His run after the catch is really electrifying. And it looks like that his route running isn't the best, but it will catch up to his athleticism. Once again, a theme that's really with a lot of these prospects, 
His only knock is that he's really just small. He's small and he needs to beef up a little bit, you know, get better ball tracking, get better focus going into traffic and just work on his routes. But other than that, you know, a lot of people think he has a 6.3 draft grade, which means, you know, a lot of people feel that he could eventually be a starter in NFL. So it's 6.33. His measurables, he's 5'9", 178 pounds. So wide receiver, you know, you generally... No one's saying that you can't be a wide out in the league at that because we've seen plenty of people with that similar build be successful in the league. It's just that he, he needs to put a little bit more mass on his frame, but retain his speed. And it looks like he needs to get a, a tad bit more physical. Yeah, and he, I think the, the most disconcerting part of him is that he stayed four years at Ohio. So he played for Ohio State, right? Uh, he mean, played Penn for Penn State. State. No, I'm getting him mixed up with Hill. <laughs> yeah, yep. AKG. yeah, yeah, who's on okay. my list as well? No, yeah. no, no. I don't know. I'm not too familiar with him, but yeah, man, it sounds like any receiver that has speed, speed, they're always gonna knock you for size. But it does seem like when you get those small receivers in the slot, if they can get in and out of their breaks, you can be cold, Beasley with speed, man. <laughs> true, true. I mean, that's his only knock is that he's just small, and so I think you get a speedster like that in the slot, man. I mean, he really has a lot of julian edelman type of uh which i feel sorry for julian edelman by the way poor julian edelman with the news that we talked yeah. about earlier in the segment well, he got what he deserved he's a patriot <laughs> yeah he did i know all right man yep. another prospect i like i'm telling you right now man i got nothing but skill positions because that's who i want to see man and it's i love watching the draft i'm not gonna tell you the underneath old the um underrated old lineman because i don't know but I love watching these running backs and wide receivers and another running back that i absolutely love is DJ Dallas running back from Miami, 5'10", 215 pounds. He was a backup to Travis Homer in 2018. Uh, he dislocated his elbow in 2019, so everyone was expecting him to have a bigger season. He was the focal point early for that Miami offense, but he hurt his elbow, which cut his season short. He has great hands. He's a good blocker. Um, He's a great all-around talent, man. He played wide receiver in high school. That's what makes him so intriguing is he played wide receiver in high school, but then in college he was a running back. So that makes him a perfect, you know, third down back. He's a really good blocker. He didn't have a real large route tree, so he's not really one of those running backs that you can line up in the slot and have him run, like, different routes. But coming out of the backfield, uh, he can definitely catch the ball. But I don't see why you couldn't expand his route tree if he played it in, you know, high school. He ran a four five eight, so he doesn't have blazing speed, but he had a great shuffle drill. You know what I mean? So he has good footwork as a uh, as a running back. In 2019, even though his season was kind of cut short, he still ran for 693 yards, averaged six yards per carry, eight t- eight touchdowns. He had 14 receptions for 140 yards and two touchdowns. In 2018, as a sophomore, he also averaged 5.7 yards per carry. So the dude can get the ball. He can get up the field. He has patience when he's running. He can also return kicks, which makes him more valuable. But when I look at a lot of these running backs uh, with the new NFL, the one thing that I look at is who would thrive in a committee system. And he looks like the perfect back that would thrive in a committee system. He looks like the perfect back that could be a third down back and protect the quarterback. If you can block for the quarterback, and you can catch the ball, then you'll have a place in the NFL, especially if you can return kicks. So I'm looking at him. Even at a place like uh, 
even in a place like with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if they don't want to spend an early pick on a running back, you can get somebody like DJ Dallas to be your third down back and have Ronald Jones do the early early um down. So I really like DJ Dallas as a prospect. I've actually been hearing a lot more about him lately, so I'd be interested to see his landing spot because I think he's a good talent. I don't think he could carry a team, but he could definitely be good in a committee. I think uh, DJ Dallas was an excellent player at the University of Miami for the Hurricanes. Uh, I just think that Manny Diaz was a little overwhelmed in his first year, and Dan Enos didn't really know how to use him effectively. But uh, he was one of the bright spots on an otherwise mediocre team who had a little bit of a fall from grace after, you know, everybody assumed that the U was back after that uh, 2018 campaign. Yeah, so I mean, as I said, he was a wide receiver, and they only threw to him 14 times. I mean, even, you know what I mean? Like, he should have gotten more passes out the backfield with that skill set. Yeah, but then again, you know, the Miami, University of Miami quarterback situation wasn't all that great either this year. So they had a lot of things to work on. So maybe, you know, if you see a little bit more stability at the quarterback position than DJ Dallas probably would have been utilized more and then his draft stock increases. But I think he's definitely going to be a player, man. I like DJ Dallas a lot. I think he has blazing speed. And it's just him giving the opportunity with the right OC in the right system. Yeah, but the best part about him is he's patient. And that's one thing in the NFL that you can look at speed. There's a lot of running backs that have speed. There's a lot of running backs that's big and tough. But in the NFL, it's really about being patient and setting up your blocks. And that's one of his best assets is he's really patient. He sets up his blocks. He doesn't overrun his blockers. He hits the hole. So I think he'll be very, very valuable in somebody's system. So my next prospect, man, I don't want to seem like a hater because in the last episode of Fumble Ruski, I got called a hater (laughs) because I didn't have a lot of variation. You know, I was talking about a lot of the offensive players. So I'm showing the line, man, the offensive line, some love. My next uh, sleeper pick is one, Jonah Jackson, offensive lineman from Ohio State. So Jonah Jackson, you know, he's an odd duck, man. He's a really odd duck. He's a guard center prospect who the knock on him is his run blocking and his pass protection are polar opposites. So he's not really a natural bender and his hand placement is suspect, which makes sustaining blocks a challenge. However, as a drive blocker, he turns into a wide balance blocker and pass sets. So he's good with protecting against twists and blitzes. But the concern is, can he handle that at the NFL Mm -hmm. level? He plays a little too tall with his run blocks. He's not really able to sink and create leverage points. And his hands are slow. So he's slow to activate his hands and he can't (laughs) land them accurately. And then he has a narrow base. So he really plays too tall, according to some of the scouts. He's 6'3", 306". His draft grade is a 5.87, which means he might excel at being a backup or a special teamer. But he's versatile. Usually when you have that guard center versatility, teams will give you a shot because, like I said, you take up one roster spot, but you can cover two spots on the offensive line. So that may give him a chance. And you said he's a good run blocker, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's- so, well, I think he excels more at pass blocking 
He's a decent run blocker, but I think pass block. Well, yes. So he's a better run blocker than he is a pass. Yeah. Blocker. So man, you're a guard. You're a mauler guard. You can play guard and center. So yeah, he's definitely a good prospect. Because anybody center is one of the hardest positions. A good center in the NFL is hard to find. So if you can find a good backup center that can also play guard, that definitely adds value to a team. So I agree. Yep, and he can pick up the blitz. So that's very important with a lot of these complex NFL defenses. You know, he's good at picking up the blitz. And so I think with uh, the right system, you know, which that's a common theme for a lot of our players here, the right system, just getting the right team. Yeah, yeah. Is important, and that's know. good with a lot of late round prospects. Because some of these prospects may get drafted, some of these prospects specs may not, and become priority free agents. Sometimes it's better to be a priority free agent because you can pick the spot that you're going to, and you can get a higher signing bonus, and they can't control you for as long. So, uh, my next prospect is a wide receiver, man. I absolutely love, man. I think he has, he has uh, the potential to break out and be a star receiver. And people just aren't really talking about him because the wide receiver class is so deep. And that's Antonio Gandy Golden out of Liberty. He's a senior. Um, dude, 6'4", 223 pounds, runs a 4540, uh, put up 21 reps, and has a 36-inch vertical, man. <laughs> He's kind of a beast out there. He came out of high school as a two-star prospect. Uh, he went to Liberty. The one thing about him is just like I was talking about with um, some of with Thaddeus, just don't have a lot of tape on him. Not because he didn't play. He started as a freshman, but he played for Liberty and Liberty started out in the FBS. So it's hard to get a lot of film on him. But they moved to in 2018. They moved to the FCS. But he started as a freshman in his sophomore year. He had a breakout season having 69 receptions, 1066 yards and 10 touchdowns. From his sophomore to his senior season, he had 10 touchdowns per year. Uh, his best game was against Baylor. Uh, when they faced Baylor, he had 13 receptions, 192 yards, and two touchdowns. Now, I know he's playing against Baylor, and Baylor traditionally doesn't have a good defense. But still, if you're a FCS school, I mean, you're Liberty, and you're playing against a Big 12 school, and you perform like that, that shows that you can perform on a major level. Uh, one of that's another knock on him is the competition that he's faced. I think the toughest team that he faced as a senior was Syracuse. Now Syracuse did have a good defense, but that's pretty much the biggest competition, and he performed well. But to go along with that, he didn't have good quarterback play. So it's hard to tell how good a player is if you're getting open and your quarterback never has the time or the ability to get you the ball. And on a lot of film, you see him getting open. You see him displaying all the talents and skills to get open, and they just couldn't get the ball to him. As a senior, he has 79 receptions, 1,396 yards, and as I said, 10 touchdowns. I think if you get this dude with a quality, accurate quarterback – he is going to be dangerous. Dangerous. I think he's going to be a surprise of the draft, kind of like Preston Williams with Miami. People are going to be wondering where he came from and how you missed this kid. But he went to the Senior Bowl, and the first day they said he looked kind of overwhelmed. But by the second and third day, they said he was performing very, very well against elite competition, and he was giving them the business. So, man, I look for Antonio Gandy-Golden. Wherever he goes to make an impact, I would love for the Eagles to pick him up. Pick him up, even though we may go wide receiving the first round. We need a lot of weapons in the wide receiving core, as you can see last year. So that's one of my favorite uh, wide receivers in the late rounds, Anton Antonio Gandy Golden from Liberty. So next up for me is uh, Geno Stone, safety out of Iowa. So Geno Stone didn't really get a lot of shine. 
coming out of high school. So he's from Pennsylvania, never received an offer from Penn State, had a visit canceled on him at the last minute by Michigan State, was going to go to Kent State. I will ends up scooping him up and it definitely paid off for them. Uh, he didn't, he started eight of 13 games as a sophomore, made a number of plays, had 39 solo tackles, broke up three passes, forced a fumble. But 2019 is really where it came all together for him. He got second team all Big Ten note uh, all Big Ten honors with 70 tackles, three of them for loss, had a sack, had a pick, had four pass breakups and three forced fumbles and 13 starts. Kind of the going theme with him is he's just really stocky and compact. So he's only 5'9 and 7 eighths. So for your typical NFL corner, or he's 5'10 and 207 with 29 and a fourth inch arms, and then his hands are nine and one eighth of an inch. So a little bit smaller on the smaller end. Ryan a four six two, which isn't blazing yeah. speed for a corner. So I think just the knock on him is he's a little bit stockier. He's a little slower. But, I mean, he has an insane football IQ, has above average body control in everything that he does. He's aware of route development from the safety position. And he's also diligent at getting receivers rerouted with his contact with bossy shoves. And he eyes the quarterback as soon as he sees the route break. So that's what you want in the safety. It's just that I think the lot, the big knock on him with a lot of the scouts, he's a little, his explosion yeah. slow. Probably didn't have a lot of range with that uh, slow speed. So you can't cover, cover a lot of his range is probably low. Um, back there in the safety, but I mean, if he if he can read coverages and he can hit, you can always find a spot for him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep, he has a five point six two draft uh, draft grade, so five point six two is chance to make end of roster or practice squad. Oh man, he has a long uphill so, battle. <laughs> but you know what? He plays with a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. You know, I mean, going through that adversity coming out of high school where. You know, you're from Pennsylvania, Penn State doesn't give you a look. And then you're being recruited by Michigan State. They don't give you a look. And so you end up going to Iowa, which Iowa is no slouch in the Big Ten, man. That's a good yeah, school. Yeah, and they're a good defense. Uh, and just being from Pennsylvania, I'm sure he'll end up on the Eagles because the Eagles always bring in Pennsylvania players that don't get drafted. Man, in your mind, everybody's <laughs> going to the Eagles, man. You might as well. In fact, hey, the other thirty-two team, other 31 teams don't even need to show up. The Philadelphia Eagles are going to draft everybody, according to my co-host. No, I don't man. think they're going to draft him. I don't think he's going to get drafted, and they're known for bringing in a lot of Pennsylvania kids. So if he's from Pennsylvania and he doesn't get drafted, I could definitely see them bringing him in because we do need safety help. My next prospect is probably one of my favorite prospects. Uh, Anthony McFarlane, running back out of Maryland, 5'9", 198 pounds, ran a 4.440. Anthony McFarlane declared early, and nobody thought that he should. <laughs> so he, mm. he kind of hurt his own draft. He hurt his draft stock because as a freshman, he ran for 1,000 yards, sharing uh, in a committee with Ty Johnson. Had 131 attempts, 1,034 yards. He averaged 7.9 yards per carry, four touchdowns in a committee. So when he came back this year, everyone thought, man, he's going to be great. Well, he had a down year. Maryland overall had a down year. He had 114 attempts, 614 yards, and eight touchdowns. But he also averaged 5.4 yards a game. So it, it seems like he should have went back as a junior to improve his draft stock. 
But I guess Anthony McFarlane was like, nah, man, I'm trying to get this money. <laughs> and he declared for the job, draft. Kid is super talented, super, super talented. And I don't know what he'll look like in the NFL, but if you're just looking out for pure skill sets, he was draft. He was number two running back behind DeAndre Swift when he was recruited. You know what I mean? He ended up choosing Maryland instead of going to bigger schools. And he has a bad season. He had an incredible game against the 2018 Ohio State, uh, Ohio State Buckeyes. I think this kid has an incredible talent. I don't even think that he's doing the making the wrong decision by going pro because in the in the NFL, your your lifespan as a running back is so low. You do want to get into the NFL. It's just what situation do you go to? And I think whatever situation he goes to, it's going to be hard not to get this kid on the field. And even if you have a starter there with the running back play in the NFL, I think this dude can get, go into the NFL and be a starter in one of those all-around backs, three-down backs. Uh, you can get them for cheap, too. One of the things about him, kind of like I was talking about with DJ Dallas, great receiver, but they didn't really use him as a receiver in college. In the uh, All-American game, when he was playing against Deion Sanders' team, he was going against DBs like he was a receiver, burning them, talking mess to Deion Sanders, saying nobody out here can hold me. Then he gets out in Maryland, and they don't even use him as a receiver. I think this kid has a lot of skills that was not being utilized. And even though all the scouts said that he should have came back for another year to get better film, I don't blame him for going in because if you're confident in your skills and you don't feel like you're being used right, then you're just going to hurt your draft stock even more. It's better to get in there, get in training camp, showcase your skill set. And we've seen as a running back, if you can play, it doesn't matter. You can have a, a $10 million player as starter. If you can get in camp and play, you can beat that dude out because running back is one of those positions where they'll toss away their starter to get cheaper. People do not like to spend money on running back. So I think Anthony McFarlane will have an impact next year. He may not get drafted high, but I think you will see him next year. Yeah, my guy must have got tired of going to class, man. <laughs> come out there, come out as a junior. But, hey, get your money, yeah. man. Hey, I'm not hating on you at all. I'm not hating may at all. So my next pick, oh, go ahead, man. Go ahead. Were you going to say something yeah, else? I was going to say, it may not have been the best decision, but, I mean, if you're going to bet on yourself, Sometimes you got to bet on yourself, man. Bet on your skills. Hey, man, that's what Scottie Pippen should have did to not to get out that bad contract. Yeah, yeah. that dude is so crazy. <laughs> I know, right? I still got people coming at my head over not defending Scottie Pippen. But, but anyway, that's something that you guys can cover on the two smart dummies, yeah, man. It, it makes no sense to me, especially if you know the whole story. Like, you do push for the contract after his uh, sophomore year. In the, in the NBA, like he pushed for that contract, renegotiated, and didn't get the last two years of his rookie contract. So it ended up being like an 11 year contract. <laughs> mm, tragic. My next pick is uh, showing some love to your home state, mm. Travis Gibson, defensive okay. end, Tulsa. So uh, Travis Gibson, as a senior, first team all all athletic conference AAC accolades. Led Tulsa with 15 tackles for loss, eight sacks among 49 total stops. Also had two forced fumbles in 12 games with 11 starts. So he is a raw prospect in the dead center of what's being considered as his developmental phase. But judging off his play, you know, he's definitely what could be considered a diamond as a rough. So a lot of the scouts are saying he needs better hand usage and lower body strength to handle himself at the point of attack. He's kind of a rangy tackler. A lot of people feel that he's not NFL ready yet, but he's a potential dominant in the rough in some of the later rounds. Uh, total, 
strength. So he, he's a workout warrior. The guy added 60 pounds at Tulsa. It got better each and every year. Uh, first step is long and explosive. He's flexible and athletic to really wriggle around on pass protection. And he has a chip on his shoulder, which inspires his aggression and just uh, passionate play. Only weakness is he's talented, still very raw, plays at full speed, but his technique's behind. And he lacks game plan and finesse as a pass rusher. And his rush instincts are a little underdeveloped. So it sounds like Travis Gibson has all the physical tools to be successful in the league. He's just going to need some time and development. Draft grade is a 6.22, which says that according to that, good backup could become a starter. Needs to go somewhere with a coach who is very defensive-minded. I'm thinking the perfect place for him will be probably Minnesota, maybe even Pittsburgh, somewhere like that, where he can really be. Or, you know, I would even say the New England Patriots could take a chance on a guy like that. A lot of people forget that Bill Belichick's bread and butter was being a defensive coordinator for uh, the New York Giants back in the day. So I'm thinking, you know, this is kind of his type of project where he could take a guy who – may not be as heralded as some of the other premier defensive picks, but someone who has raw talent that you can work with, you just have to teach him technique and develop. Yeah, man, I agree. I, I like that Minnesota because Minnesota lost, lost a lot on defense, so they're definitely going to be be trying to retool that defense, especially on the end. So uh, my next pick is going to be Devin Duvernay. kind of hurts me to pick him because I'm an OU fan and he went to Texas. 5'11", 210 pounds with blazing speed. Dude ran a 4.3940 at a 35.5 vertical, uh, 123 broad jump, 4'2 in the shuttle. He was first team, all Big 12. He's Kyler Murray's cousin. (laughs) Really? Kyler Murray's. I never knew that. He's Kyler Murray's cousin, four-star prospect, another wide receiver and a running back's body. Uh, he, 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 He didn't really play a lot. Uh, he's a senior, but he didn't really play a lot before his senior year, and a lot of that was because of little Jordan Humphrey, and they've been kind of talented in the wide receiver core. But when he got his chance to play, dude was a monster. He had 106 receptions last year, 1,386 yards, nine touchdowns. And he's one of those receivers you really just need to get the ball in his hands. He was a very, very reliable receiver, but when he gets the ball in his hands, he's deadly. His yards after catch ability is his strongest is his strongest ability. Um, he ran 10.27 in high school, so you know he got legit speed. He could be a kick returner, but super, super explosive, man. You get this dude with somebody like Drew Brees um, that can really let it go. He has a real Brandon Cooks feel to him because even though he didn't play a lot, he's very, very explosive. Hands are very, very reliable, and if you can just get the ball in his hands and move out the way, he runs like a running back. So I love Devin Duvernay. He, even though he doesn't have a lot of game film, he only has one true season. Um, so if he had more consistency, then you probably would hear him being talked about with like Henry Ruggs and T. Higgins. He would be in the top echelon. The only reason that he's not is because he only has one year of doing it and all the top receivers have multiple years of being effective and starting. But I think Devin Duvernay has the talent and skill set to compete with any of them. So my next pick is uh, Jack Driscoll, offensive tackle from Auburn. 
So he originally started his career at UMass, uh, graduated in three years and transferred as a graduate transfer to go to Auburn for two seasons. He acclimated to the SEC just fine. He started all 13 games at right tackle in 2018 and 2019. So his measurables, he is 6'5 and 306. So a little lean for an offensive lineman. And I think that's why a lot of teams may scratch him off the list because of the lack of length and play strength. Uh, it looks that he has short arms and that he has, but it's, he he's kind of one of those guys, he's not very muscular. Yeah. So, in which, I mean, it's just he, that's, it really seems outside of his technique, that just seems like he needs to put on some more muscle. Uh, she's a little bit compact when it comes to his limbs, but he has a lot of experience. He has a ton of experience. He's a four-year starter, so he started at both UMass and Auburn, has a lot of experience. Uh, he's athletic on counter pulls from the backside. Uh, he's got he's very quick out of his stance. Has lateral agility to handle zone blockings. He s- snaps into his kick slides with instant bursts. I mean, there's not a lot of things you can measure an offensive lineman yeah. on, but it just seems that he needs to really just add some real mass and add some muscle. Yeah, yeah. He needs to really get on a program where he can put on about. Let's see, he's 306. He probably could use about 30 pounds of solid muscle. He needs to really get with, you know, whomever the strength and conditioning coaches are. I don't know what he's done to prepare for the draft, but I think, you know, he needs to really get with uh, on a program, get with a trainer, and just put on a lot of mass. Yeah. And I think he'll have a real shot. Yeah, with offensive linemen, is usually just about um, getting their technique, their balance together, footwork, uh, and then putting, like you said, putting weight on his strength. So I agree. He just probably needs somebody to refine his technique and probably be a monster. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm doing all desserts today, man. I don't need no broccoli. I don't need no I don't need no protein, man. It's all desserts for me, man. Oh, well, you know, broccoli's over for me, man. We got we got I got some good ones coming up here. <laughs> all right, but uh my next one is uh Michael Pittman Jr., man. Son of uh Michael Pittman, the running back. Yeah, he used to play for yeah, the Bucks. Running back for the Bucks, man. A uh, 6'4", 220-pound wide receiver. Ran a 4.540, 13, um, 13 bench press. He was a four-star prospect, but this dude is strong. Probably a little too strong and too physical. Dude gets a lot of offensive pass interference calls because he just kind of pushes these corners, these little DBs off the way. <laughs> you know... Some people have knocked him on the scouting report. I love that about him, man, because in the NFL, it's all about being physical. It's all about um, getting to your spot, demanding the ball, high-pointing the ball, and he was one of the better players, man. He had a really good season, a breakout season as a senior, 101 catches, 1,275 yards, and 11 touchdowns. Last year, as a junior, he had 41 receptions, 715 yards, I mean, 758 yards and six touchdowns. Like, this kid is a monster, man. Uh, He started off the season, you know, just kind of a, you know, like you thought he would. He had five straight 100-yard games. But in game four, he had 10 catches for 232 yards and a touchdown. He had he was all-pack 12 wide receiver, a finalist for the um, Belitnikoff Award. He only dropped five passes in his whole career. So he had sure hands with that size. And he showed out at the Senior Bowl. This is another prospect where if this receiving class was not so deep, 
he probably would be talking about as a first round pick uh, day one. He's probably going to fall to either a Friday in the second or third round. But whoever gets this kid, I think they're getting a, uh, a steal because I don't even think he's re refined as a receiver. He played with Juju. We saw that Juju came out and kind of um, outperformed what the scouts had said about him. So I don't know how good the receiving coaches at USC. I don't know how good they are at training these players on routes. But you see, when they get in the NFL, they have the ability to develop and become better than what they are. And his, with his skill set, 6'4", 220 strength, running a 4'5", I, I just I think this kid's going to be a monster. I'm talking about like Michael Thomas-type monster. If you can get somebody with him, refine his route running, man, he can be a talent. And going back to the point about Thaddeus Moss, you know, if he's anything like his dad, you know, he'll have a, a lengthy career, yeah. man. He really will. So, staying with wide receiver, man. I, I, wow, I really say man a lot. I just noticed that <laughs> yeah, it kind of bothers Yeah, me, me too. But, I say, uh, um, um, um. <laughs> oh, we all do. Hey, man, but we're, we're creatives, so it happens. <laughs> and we're doing this live on the fly. So, staying with the wide receiver group, I got K.J. Hill, man. Mm. North Little Rock's own K.J. Hill. Homer uh, pick. Ohio, former Ohio State Bucko. <laughs> not, not really a homer pick, man, because a lot of people hated on K.J. Hill when he made his decision to go to Ohio State. They were fresh off of winning the 2013 National Championship when Cardell Jones just came in and took over, you know, when everybody else was injured. Yeah. Uh, K.J. Hill... Chris Carter, which it seems like Chris Carter just knows any and everybody, old CC, convinced him to stay at school, and it looks like that paid off for him. He uh, broke David Boston's record, leading the Ohio State Buckeyes in all-time receptions, uh, had 57 receptions for 636 yards with an, and with an average of 11.2 yards to 10 touchdowns, and he also contributed as a punt returner, had five returns for 38 yards, averaged 7.6 yards for 14 games, had nine starts. Honorable mention all Big Ten. K.J. Hill is a very good hand. He's been a very good hand at Ohio State for the past four or five years. He's very dependable, very reliable, very consistent. With that being said, I think he is the all-time receptionist leader because he stayed in school <laughs> all of those years. He's very consistent with his level of production. Uh, his routes are very detail-oriented. And he can run an extensive route tree. So anywhere you put him, he can do it. He's an all-around dependable wide receiver. You know who he reminds me of? Uh, Who's he remind uh, you of? Jason Avant. Is it Jason Avant? Yeah. 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 From back in the day, they played for you guys. Yeah, came so, yeah, from he's Michigan. He's that type of player. Yeah, reliable yes. in the middle. He's that type of player. A lot of the knocks on him. So scouts say he was rarely challenged by a quality press, and he has one-note route speed. And he needs to sense when to work back the throw, and he's not really overly dynamic with the ball in his hands. He's just kind of a routine receiver. But, you know, K.J. Hill had a decent college career. I think, to your point, he will be a Jason Avant type of player in the NFL. You know, he's reliable, and he's dependable. Yeah. And a lot of teams need a good hand. And I think I could see him being maybe, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth-round pick maybe. I don't – oh, excuse me. I don't think K.J. Hill – slice that far but i think that he will fit in somewhere as a good third threat maybe even as a returner i think special teams is where he'll cut his teeth in the league and if he excels in that he will make someone's roster 
and then he could eventually be a third option at wide receiver. Yeah, I think Terry McLaurin might have gotten him drafted just for the simple fact of that they those receivers, Paris Campbell, he didn't have a good year, but he had some injuries. But you saw Terry McLaurin really break out last year, and he gave credit to because of the defenders that they go against every day in practice. So one thing that you can't really measure is the amount of competition that K.J. Hill faces in his own practice. Uh, because Ohio State has been putting out some defenders over the past two or three years, so I think he he has a lot of he has experience working against NFL caliber corners, and you never know what you're going to get when you get him in there. And he has sure hands and consistency. I don't see anything special about him, but sometimes just being consistent is good enough. Uh, my next prospect, man, Brian Edwards. A legend at South Carolina, man. Uh, 6'3", 215 pounds. Dude had a better career than Alshon Jeffrey and Sterling Shepard. And for all you, not Sterling Shepard, Sterling Sharp. Sterling Sharp. Yeah. For all you young bucks that only know Shannon Sharp, Sterling was his brother, and he was a bad, bad man. (laughs) Sterling was a really good receiver. A lot of people don't remember Sterling Sharp, man. Well, Shannon Sharp said in his Hall of Fame speech that he wasn't even the best football player in his family. Yes, yeah, that was Sterling Sharp, and I and I honestly think Sterling Sharp should be in the Hall. Unfortunately, his career was shortened by a neck injury. But Brett Favre, they used to make they they made a hell of a combination, and I think a lot of the young bucks they probably won't know who Shannon Sharp is. Yeah, either. they know they Shannon won't, they Sharp won't know is. much about Unc. Well, they know Unc yeah. Shay from Undisputed, but uh, you know Sterling Sharp was that guy. He was that guy, which I'm surprised he didn't broadcast it, man, because he started out at CBS. He's really good. But that's neither here nor there. Continue. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sterling was pretty much a faster version of Shannon. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That played the outside. He was a really good player, but he had a dominant career at South Carolina. Brian Edwards had a better career. Um, he set all type of receptions at uh, South Carolina. A lot of it was because he played four years. Uh, he had the receptions record, receiving yards records. Um, he's third in touchdowns behind Alshon and Sidney Rice. Sidney Rice was another good receiver that came out of South Carolina. He played with Debo Samuels. The real knock on him is people don't know how athletic he is and how agile. So even though he was a dominant receiver for South Carolina, even though they didn't, they didn't have real good quarterback play, the scouts were waiting to see his agility and his athleticism. But he had a broken foot, so he couldn't test well. So since he couldn't test at the combine, those questions are still out there about his athleticism at this level. Uh, it reminds me a lot of the knocks that they had on Kelvin Harmon last year. Kelvin Harmon had an outstanding career. He had all the aspects to be a dynamic, dynamic receiver. But then when he got to the combine, they said that he wasn't athletic enough. I just, I just think Brian Edwards has all the tools, man. He was very consistent in South Carolina. His numbers aren't outrageous. But, he, like I said, he played with Debo Samuels, and the quarterback play at South Carolina wasn't that great. But if you're just talking about talent, skill set, I think he has everything that you need, and he's a dog out there. He wants to win on every route. He's tough. He competes. I think Brian Edwards is going to be a steal. And if he was able to test at the combine and – I, and they, the wide receivers wasn't as deep. Like I've talked about, what six, four, five wide receivers in this class, and that's not even the top five or six wide receivers. We didn't talk about Rugs. We didn't talk about Denzel Mims, Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins. You know, this 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 draft is full of wide receivers. So I think you'll be able to get a steal, and there's going to be a real. I think there's going to be a really good wide receiver class, man. So my last pick of the night. Quarterback Josh Love, 
San Jose State. So Josh Love had 3,923 yards, 22 touchdowns, and eight interceptions. And he lit the Arkansas Razorbacks <laughs> up for 400 yards in a game that everybody had Arkansas penciled in to win. San Jose State, one of the Mountain West teams that you pay to come in, and he just put a throttling on Arkansas, passing for over 400 yards in a game. He was the Mountain West Offensive Player of the Year. So, I don't think... I think he's a good sleeper, but I don't really think he's going to end up being drafted. I could see him being drafted or, or being an undrafted free agent yeah. because there's just a lot of quarterbacks. You know, it's not like he's Justin Love. He's Josh yeah, Love. Yeah, people might get it confused. So, <laughs> yeah, so he uh, he improved each and every year while he was at San Jose State. I mean, he put a, such a bad whooping on Arkansas that he made uh, – which guy was it? He made Nick's – or. Was it Nick Starkle transfer there? Yes. Oh, they doing that over there? It, uh, yeah, man. Didn't Ty Story transfer that to you? <laughs> he went to Western, Western Kentucky, Kentucky and put a whooping oh, yeah. on Arkansas also, man. So, he, so basically he everybody put a, a whooping on Arkansas. Man, if you can get – Yeah, pretty much. Arkansas is the way to go. You can get paid to come here and get some good quality game film at the same time, man. But you know what? Sam Pittman's going to turn it around. Once we, When we do our college football review, I think Sam Pittman's going to turn it around, man. I'm obviously being a homer here. But he improved each and every year at San Jose State. He hits his receivers in stride. He has a strong enough arm, and he sits in the pocket, and he follows through on passes, and he absorbs hits. He's good on the move, and he's still accurate when he throws on the move. He's He can have that rocket and have the touch when it's needed. He makes a variety of throws that you could do at the NFL level. I just think the weakness is he went to San Jose State, really never had a winning record as a starting quarterback, but uh, he almost got them to bowl eligibility, but he just came up short, and he didn't really face a lot of high-level competition. Uh, While he can make the throws downfield, he does underthrow wide receivers just a bit sometimes, which forces him to adjust to make the catch. I think he's going to end up more than likely being an undrafted free agent, uh, I wish that leagues like the XFL were still around because I think he could be a perfect fit for that. I really would like to see him get a chance because he has the ability to make those big throws. You know, he can work on a few things in the league, you know, not underthrowing his receivers so much, but he's he's good while he throws on the move, he has a big arm. I just think where he went to school affects his draft stock. Yeah. Because he didn't really have uh, a lot of competition there. Didn't really put up stellar numbers. I think even though he threw for 22 touchdowns and only eight picks, he was like ranked uh, like 82nd in the nation in touchdowns because there's so many other quarterbacks ahead of him at bigger programs. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see a lot of him, but um, he'll probably end up being a practice squad player. He definitely needs some development, but he has the skill set to be a quality quarterback. It probably just to take him two or three, two or three years, you know. But he's definitely a good prospect if you give him some time to develop. Yep, I think if he went to a bigger school, like, you know, if he went to, instead of San Jose State, if he would have went to, like, USC, UCLA, uh, I think he'd get a little bit more shine. But it's just, you know, those Mountain West schools, and the Mountain West can produce quality players, too. It's almost like, you know, it's like the Mac. You know, it's like it's uh, those, uh, you know, mid-major schools they produce quality talent. It's just that sometimes they get overshadowed by the bigger programs. And you never know. Injury, you can get a Gardner Minshew. Was it Minshew or Minshaw? 
Gardner Minshew. Yeah, get a Gardner Minshew situation going. Yep. Hey, number 25 on my uh, top top 25 in the last episode. You got to put some respect on that man's name. All right, man. But, yeah, that's the list, man. We're looking forward to the draft happening on Thursday, man. Um, look, Looking to see where some of these prospects land. As you know, in the NFL, it's all about your landing spot, man. You could be on – whoever's big board at number five and land in a bad position and you ruin your career and you could get drafted in the sixth round and land in a perfect system for you and become a starter like Tom Brady. So you just never know with the draft. That's what makes the NFL draft so interesting because you never know who's going to be the next, next star it can literally come in any round. Yeah. That's what makes it so exciting. I look forward to watching it, even though it's going to be different. Uh, I saw something interesting earlier. Bud Light is having a little bit of a contest where you can boo the commissioner because obviously since fans aren't going to be allowed in the building this year and and it seems that a tradition is booing Roger Goodell. Yeah, he needs that. So, yeah, I mean, he's trash. (laughs) I I miss Paul Tagliabue. I miss the good old days when players could get away with stuff and still play (laughs) a full season. Because you're a Cowboys fan. You can boo the commissioner. Well, of course, man. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> but you can boo the commissioner virtually, so they'll be having a contest for that. Before we get out of here, man, one thing I just really wanted to gloss over really briefly. We got a couple of teams with new jerseys yeah. this year. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons, Cleveland Browns, the New England Patriots, and the San Diego Chargers. Wanted to get your quick thoughts on them, man. I saw uh, the Chargers release their kit this morning. I thought they had the best one. The Browns looked kind of they just went back to what they used to have and they never should have changed the patriots eh. and uh oh well the buccaneers as well they got new jerseys which they're okay you know they went back to the kind of the retro look that they had in the early 2000s and then uh the atlanta falcons had the worst one of all they should have just kept what they had or gone back to the throwback you know when Deion sanders was playing but i think the chargers won that one yeah i like the chargers chargers were my favorite um tampa bay's I don't know, man. It just seems like people are bored. <laughs> you know what I mean? I I don't think any of them was great. Chargers always have great jerseys just because of their color scheme and the lightning you can do a lot with. Falcons, Browns, they don't really ever do much. Like the the Falcons should have the best jersey because they have, I believe, the best color scheme. That black, red, and white, you know what I mean? Back, I like the Dirty Bird jerseys if you ask me, you know what I mean? Yeah, like the throwbacks, yeah. man. Those were the best you don't ones have to do to a me. lot. Like, I would just went back. Just keep the helmet the same, but have the jerseys and kind of go back to that basic design and then just have the updated Falcon on the sleeve. I, I, the Me Vic jerseys, though. I love the Vic jerseys. I think those were the best, yes. the Vic ones. Talking about when they first changed yeah. the logo? Yeah, they should have just kept it. I don't know why they did that. Um, the Browns, I mean, they should have never changed it in the first place. I mean, their jerseys didn't bother me, but they just went back to being more of the same. Uh, same with the Bucks, You know, they changed back to the John Gruden era uniforms, more or they less got rid though. of the alarm clock numbers. Yeah, they did. And now you got Brady and Gronk down there. You know, you're officially the Tampa Bay Patriots. You know, so there you go. The Tampa Bay is probably one of the only teams that their jerseys kind of have significance. When they wear certain styles, they don't win games at all. So this may be a sign that this might be a championship year for them, man. Yep, and then the New England Patriots, you know, changing up their look. Uh, it looks like they just took the color rush jersey, and that is going to be the main thing. Uh, New era, man. Looks they like gotta it, wash away the bad like, eggs, man. Do you think that Julie yeah, Elder, looks, um, Julian Elderman starts the year as a Patriot? As a Patriot? Uh, I don't know, man. I think so. I mean, where else is he going to go? Oh, there's places. He could, there's places. Believe me. 
There's places that'll take him. I mean, he's a great slot receiver. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, like people are saying. He had a really good Super Bowl, and he really excelled with Brady as the quarterback, and he excels in Belichick's system. But I, I think if he goes somewhere else, it'll be a lot like when Wes Welker left and went to other places. You know, he was a great player, but it's just not – he's not a Hall of Fame talent. Now, are you talking about with Danny Amendola and Detroit Lions? Mm-hmm. <laughs> every every slot receiver that New England has had. Uh, all right, man. Well, that's all for this episode, man. Um, be sure to check out every all our content on at number two smartnetwork.com. You can also catch me on Instagram at two smart network. You can catch my boy KP. Give one of your tags, man. Man, so I got a couple of sites now, man. Of course, you can follow my personal page at the underscore mighty underscore carry. Or you can follow the set, the official uh, page of the Sexy Suburban Dad at Sexy Suburban Dad Podcast. Uh, you can hit us up there. Hopefully, we'll be working on a new episode for you guys where uh, Sweet Lou and I are going to be looking at top 10 comedies. So that was a little hard for me. I still got a little bit of research to do. <laughs> uh, but be sure to check out, you know, When the Smoke Clears and uh, Two Smart Dummies, two of my favorite shows, which uh got to give a quick shout out. Uh, the homie. Uh, Jen, a.k.a. Doodlebug. So she had a lot of beef with y'all over the uh, top 10 female list. She's an avid listener, friend of the show. She said she should have been consulted on some of that. She's been listening to these tracks <laughs> and she was in diapers. And uh, she had a little, she disagreed with you guys a little bit. Yeah, we caught a little bit of heat from that, man. I stand by the list, though. I stand, my list is my list, man. My list is my list. Hey, That's man. it. Hey, I'm just, I'm just glad to see you make it for the broadcast tonight, man. I thought Remy Ma was going <laughs> to snatch you up, bro. Yeah, but so, uh, yeah, check out that When the Smoke Clears. We have the latest episode. We did the top 10 female MCs of all time. We gave you our list on that. Um, two Smart Dummies at number two Smart Dummies. We'll have a new episode coming to, for you soon. We're going to give you the five... I won't say underrated players, but five players that were, were really good that you might have forgotten about and five teams that were really, really good and didn't win a championship. We also have a 90s Nostalgia podcast coming out soon. Um, so we got a lot of new content, man, that's going to be coming to you. You can k- check it all out. Um, find it at Too Smart Network. That's either the website or Instagram and on Facebook, man. But that's all we got for you tonight. Well, for B. Reed, I'm KP. Thank you guys for listening. Enjoy the draft. We'll see you next time. We out. Peace. Peace.